We're ready. We're, we're live. We're going. Oh, so can you call roll call? Oh, I thought you said welcome. Oh, no. I, I didn't <laughs> I totally say welcome missed. at all. I, I thought you said welcome. I was like, oh, how nice. Oh, okay. Um, roll call. I could do that. Um, commissioners uh, Meow. Present. Sullivan. Here. Telos. Here. Chair Chen. Here. Four present. And Commissioner Miley, or Vice uh, Chair Miley, is absent tonight. Okay. Do we have any non-agenda public comment items? Uh, the total time is limited to 15 minutes, and each speaker has three minutes. No one has raised their hand, so we do not. Okay, let's move ahead. Uh, let's start with the first complaint hearing. So it's a hearing 3A on the Sunshine Ordinance complaint filed on December 5th, 2023, and uh, we, how this will go is that the complaint complainant's opening statement and presentation of facts has 10 minutes. The respondent's opening statement has 10 minutes. The complainant's reply to the respondent's presentation of facts, if needed, has five minutes. The complainant's, then we have, uh, the commissioners have questions of the two parties. Those are just questions which is five minutes per commissioner. And then the complainants has a closing statement of two minutes. The respondents have a closing statement of two minutes. And then after the questions, we will ask if there are any speakers. And following the speakers, uh, we'll ask if there's a motion to discuss and uh, we'll proceed from there. So let's hear from the complainant. Okay, and the complainant is remote, so I will promote him to be a panelist and we'll get him up on the screen and then we will be ready to um, time his presentation as soon as we get him in here. Okay, and then Mr. Foreman, if you'll turn on your screen and unmute, and then we'll show you on the screen in here. Okay, there. Are you there? Okay. He's muted. He's, he's, he's muted. James, can you change the time to 10 minutes? I can't do it. Oh. Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. Yes. You can, you can hear me clearly. Okay. Uh, preliminarily, I would like to uh, uh, let the committee know that I'm, uh, I regret that I'm attending this remotely. I had a member of my family have a medical emergency this morning. And although it's stabilized this afternoon, I don't feel uh, safe being far from a, uh, a way for her to reach me. So I hope you'll forgive me for that. And oh, I'm being timed already? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I practiced law in Pennsylvania from the mid-60s to 1990, where I represented several municipal bodies which required my adherence to the applicable sunshine law. I got extensive experience with the Brown Act and our Sunshine Ordinance from 2014 to 2018 when I served as a member of this commission, which included an assigned task of reviewing the entire ordinance and suggesting revisions. Since 2018, I've continued my special interest in these two laws and have corresponded on various aspects thereof to city council and the commission. 
On November 7th, Alameda suffered anti-Semitic and Islamophobic public comments from Zoom callers during the non-agenda segment of the city council meeting. The Brown Act allows the muting of those calls that are outside of the subject matter of the city. However, between the November 7th and 21st meetings, the agenda setting committee consisting of the city manager, attorney, clerk, and mayor responded to the problem by disallowing online public comment on non-agenda matters, thus punishing the many for the sins of the few, especially disabled and older citizens like myself who find it difficult to attend meetings in person. This policy was first exercised in the November 21st council meeting and has remained in force at every city council meeting since. I'm especially troubled by the unique impact of limiting comment on non-agenda matters. Such comment is the only means for citizens to raise counts before council and the public awareness of matters not addressed on the regular agenda. Expressing those matters in a letter to council doesn't publish those concerns to the public as they're not included as an amend, uh, agenda exhibit. And even if they were, they probably wouldn't be read. I decided to do a deep dive into the Brown Act to determine if the exclusion violated the act. I have found that it does. The pertinent provisions of the Brown Act are subsections B and F of section 54953, with the caveat that effective January 1, 2024, subsection F now becomes E. The city attorney asserts that F still applies through 2026, so to avoid confusion, I'll refer to it as F. Subsection B is a 30-year-old pre-Zoom prohibition, allowing meetings to be attended remotely by one or more council members. Subsection F is a 2022 post-Zoom provision, allowing a city to supplement its in-person meeting with interactive Zoom-type public participation, commonly referred to as a hybrid meeting. The city attorney asserts, asserts that the November 21 council meeting was convened pursuant to subsection B because council member Vela attended remotely and that subsection B does not require the provision of online non-agenda public comment. Concerning the council meeting since then, when no council member attended remotely, the city attorney argues that subsection F only applies where a council member attends remotely. His remarks are contradicted by the express language of the act. Subsection B2D, paraphrased here and quoted directly in my position statement, states that the city council shall allow the public to access the meeting and provide an opportunity for members of the public to address the legislative body directly pursuant to section 54954.3. Subdivision A of that section provides that city council shall provide an opportunity for members of the public to directly address the legislative body on any item of interest to the public. There is no ambiguity in the statutory language, thus excluding online public comment on any agenda item presented in a council meeting held pursuant to subsection B is prohibited. The council meetings in December 2023 and January 2024 were not held pursuant to subsection B as it only applies to meetings where at least one council member is appearing remotely and all council members were present in person for these meetings. 
However, they were authorized by subsection F, which states that a city council may use teleconferencing if at least a quorum participates in person uh, uh, and, 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 and provides a Zoom type interactive access to the public. As a means by, uh, quote, uh, to, uh, as a means by which the public may remotely hear and visually observe the meeting and remotely address city council and including, quote, an opportunity for all persons to attend and address the legislative body directly pursuant to section 54954.3 via a call-in option, via an internet-based service option, and at the in-person location of the meeting. The agendas for all the regular council meetings from November 21st through the current date comply with all of these requirements with the exception of the unlawful online non-agenda public comment exclusion. Subsection F2 does cover conditions which must be met to allow a council member to participate in a subsection F meeting remotely, but it does not require a remote attendee to trigger a teleconference and allows a hybrid meeting where anywhere from a three-member quorum to all five council members are physically present in council chambers and the public can participate either in person or online. My proposed remedy for this violation is that you advise city council that the exclusion of non-agenda online or telephonic public comment is in violation of the Brown Act and that all future meetings that offer Zoom type remote public access cannot exclude online or telephonic comment on any agenda item. My second claim of violation is the city council is implementing this exclusion, although it has not determined this policy, but it has been determined by a meeting of the agenda committee. Section 54954.3A mandates the regular meetings of a city council must provide for public comment on all agenda items. Subsection B1 thereof states, quote, the legislative body of a local agency may adopt reasonable regulations to ensure the, that the intent of subdivision A is carried out. The Brown Act at section 54, 951 and 952 provides that a city is a local agency and the city council is legislative body. Indeed, the city council until November 21st, 2023 has been regulating public comment time by amendment of the council meeting rules of order presented at a regular city council agenda item. In fact, section three of the rules regulating public comment on non-agenda matters contradicts the current exclusionary policy. Therefore, it is clear that the city council's application of an exclusionary rule promulgated by the agenda committee is in violation of the Brown Act. At the city council meeting of January 16, 2024, council member Spencer's referral seeking future consideration of rescission of the exclusion was defeated by a three to two vote. However, that does not cure and correct the failure of city council 
to place the exclusion on the regular agenda as a proposed amendment to the City Council Rules of Order. My proposed remedy for that violation is that you advise the City Council that any regulation of public comment is their exclusive authority and must be presented for consideration in a public meeting compliant with the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, good timing. <laughs> Do we have the respondent? Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Jason Allen and I'm an assistant city attorney. And I'm here to address Mr. Foreman's complaint and to respond to any questions that the commission may have. Let's just take a step back and, and think about the Brown Act for a moment. Primarily, or one of the purposes of the Brown Act is to provide citizens with the opportunity to speak to commissions, councils, uh, and of course, the city council. Um, but the Brown Act takes a practical approach. It doesn't require every opportunity be perfect. It doesn't require that every opportunity to address council members satisfy each citizen's desire. So for example, while Mr. Foreman may prefer that members of the public be permitted to speak remotely to the city council, the Brown Act doesn't necessarily require it. Instead, what the Brown Act replies is that citizens have a reasonable opportunity. Traditionally, that opportunity comes in person. So the city council holds council meetings in this chamber. Members of the public come to the chamber and speak directly to the council members, just as they could come to this chamber tonight and speak directly to you all as commissioners here. That is how traditionally the Brown Act requirement for members of the public to be able to speak directly to council members and commissioners is satisfied. Generally, there are no requirements to provide remote access for members of the public. There are exceptions, however. Those exceptions vary depending on the circumstances. Under the circumstances raised in Mr. Foreman's complaint, the city satisfied all of the requirements of the Brown Act, and therefore no violation occurred. As a result, we ask that this commission Excuse me, we ask that the commission reject the complaint and find that it was unfounded. Let's start with some of the things where we actually agree with Mr. Foreman. The removal of remote public comment for non-agenda items came in response to uh, a Zoom bombing event. Uh, essentially, people called in remotely, made comments during the non-agenda items that were hate speech. The hate speech disrupted the meeting. It created an atmosphere that chilled productive discussion at the meeting, um, and the city responded. Now, the city of Alameda is not the only city to suffer from this, from Zoom bombing and hate speech via remote comment. Other cities have eliminated remote public comment entirely. That is, not just on non-agenda items, but on agenda items as well. The city of Alameda, however, took a more limited approach and only 
eliminated public comment on the particular area of meetings where the problem occurred. So far, that approach has worked. There haven't been more incidents of disruptive hate speech uh, impacting city council meetings. Now, I'd like to address some of the sort of legal issues that Mr. Foreman raised. As I mentioned before, traditionally, the way that, count, the way that, that members of the public are allowed to speak to the council is in person. When members of the city council appear remotely, depending on the circumstances, members of the public also have to be allowed to provide comment remotely. But the way that they provide the comments, the way that they're required to provide the comments, depends on the circumstances surrounding the council member's remote appearance. Mr. Foreman has focused a lot on section, government code section 54953, subsection F. Now, that subsection applies only under particular circumstances. It was enacted only recently by the legislature following the COVID-19 pandemic. Subsection F only applies when a member of the city council or commission has essentially a personal medical emergency or a family emergency. That is under, as the statute calls it, emergency circumstances or just cause. Now there are strict limitations as to when a council member can invoke this provision of the Brown Act. And a council member can only invoke this provision of the Brown Act a limited number of times during the course of a year. When a council member appears remotely because of emergency circumstances or, or just cause, then subsection F and the requirements that Mr. Foreman set out, including um, an internet option for remote comment, apply. However, on November 21st, when council member Vela appeared remotely, she did not appear as a result of any emergency circumstances or just cause. Instead, she appeared remotely using the default provisions of the Brown Act that have been in effect for about 30 years, as Mr. Foreman mentioned. Under that provision, subsection B of the statute, there is no factual prerequisite. Council members can appear remotely so long as certain notice requirements are satisfied and so long as the place where they are appearing remotely from is made open to members of the public should they find it more convenient to appear there instead of here at City Hall. Those requirements, as we detailed in our response, those requirements were satisfied on November 21st. Now, Mr. Foreman has also argued that in the subsequent meetings, the meetings um, at meetings at which no council member appeared remotely, remote options were required for members of the public looking to provide comment on non-agenda items. But nothing in the Brown Act requires that. Again, the subsection that Mr. Foreman points to, subsection F, only applies when somebody on the council or the relevant commission is appearing remotely due to a medical emergency or just cause. Uh, as to Mr. Foreman's second complaint, the, he's correct that the Brown Act requires the legislative body 
to make regulations regarding the, the method for public comment or regulations that allow uh, for effective public comment, efficient public comment, um, and basically rules of decency. However, nothing in the act prohibits the council from delegating that authority to agenda-setting city staff, which they've done explicitly in the council handbook. Here, members, uh, agenda-setting members of the city staff responded to the Zoom bombing hate speech and enacted a targeted set of rules to address the problem that was created while still maintaining remote access, remote public comment in, on agenda items. Importantly, here, the council has addressed the issue. As Mr. Foreman mentioned, council member Spencer Herrera raised the issue and the council decided against taking any action that would impact the rules that the agenda setting staff imposed in order to protect meetings from further Zoom bombing and hate speech. Uh, and I think with that, I'll stop and hold the rest of my time for any questions. Okay. Well, we're on to five minutes from Mr. Foreman. I'm promoting you to be a panelist. It just takes a second. So while we're waiting, commissioners, if you have questions, you can scribble them down. Mr. Foreman, if you turn on your screen, you'll be able to be seen in the chambers and you can unmute yourself. Okay, my five minutes, right? Yeah. Okay, number one, I'll point with another, I'll start with another point of agreement. I do agree that there is no requirement under the Brown Act that the city hold a hybrid meeting at all. The city can choose to just have in-person meetings and not provide this option. I hope it doesn't do that. Uh, I, I, uh, but it is lawful, and I am sure that the cities that, uh, that the council refers to uh, have, have decided just to discontinue the Zoom meeting and the hybrid meeting altogether is that that's the only way they can comply with the with the Brown Act. I agree that is compliant. I hope they don't do it because I think it's a good idea to have that meeting and to rely on uh, the the ability to mute people who make hateful comments. Okay. Now, although it's not really germane, I have to respond to Council's point that uh, the policy has worked because this is not a policy issue. Uh, but he did make the comment about how successful it's been. The mayor made the same comment at the last meeting. However, at that same meeting, in the midst of her comment, all, all but one, I believe, of about seven uh, non-agenda in-person comments that were allowed were with regard to the Gaza-Palestinian-Israeli issue, and at least one of the comments, the first one, I found to be extremely hateful toward uh, uh, Muslims and Palestinians in general. So by, by no means has this solved anything. But again, policy is, is not what's before you. Now, what, what council was telling us 
is that, well, first of all, let me, let me start from, from here. The only authority for remote meetings up until the last couple of years was subsection B, which we've already told you about. There was no other option for a remote meeting. When COVID came along, they allowed Zoom meetings where nobody was present. And then when, uh, after the COVID uh, uh, emergency passed, they decided to allow hybrid meetings as long as council had at least a quorum in council chambers because people were used to it and liked it. But the point is it took legislation to do it. There was no right to that meeting until these various pieces of legislation were enacted. Now, council admits this does not come under B, at least after the November 21st meeting. He admits that there are no emergency circumstances, so it doesn't involve under the old emergency circumstance. All that leaves is subsection F. If it's not subsection F, what is it? Uh, these meetings that have been held all, uh, once in, uh, you know, in, uh, in November, twice in December, uh, twice in January, were they all illegal? What was the authority for them? The only authority can come under F, and F clearly requires this kind of public, uh, you know, non-agenda public discourse, and it, it does not require anybody to be remote. It, it would be illogical for it to do that. That wasn't the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to provide for hybrid meetings. I refer, refer you to, to that Reed Smith link that I gave you uh, uh, a few days ago, which is entirely consistent with this. Now, the final business about the unauthorized action of the uh, agenda setting committee, there was no delegation of power. The delegation of the agenda committee was to set the agenda to set the subject matter of the agenda, not meeting, uh, not public comment time. As I said in my original argument, public comment time has historically and always been set by council because this law requires it. This is not an agenda setting issue. And this delegation is, is purely a fiction of someone's imagination. It doesn't exist. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioners, do you have any questions for either side? Does the city get a response or no? Pardon me? The city doesn't get a no. response? No. Okay. Sorry, city. So there's uh, five minutes per commissioner of questioning, should you have any. Mr. Foreman, this is Brendan Sullivan. I have a couple of questions. In, in your um, experience, have, have you uh, come across this issue before with public comment being suspended? Uh, I have come across, certainly at a public meeting, at a regular public meeting, not a Zoom meeting. And it could happen at a Zoom meeting too. Uh, count, uh, and it has happened in Zoom meetings. Council could say, instead of giving you three minutes, we're going to give you two minutes. 
And if a majority of council, because of how it actually happened, the first meeting in January, they had 180 commenters and they reduced the time. That's perfectly lawful. They can reduce the time. This is not a reduction of time. This is an exclusion of the class. And I have no prior experience with it at all. Okay. So if, in, in, your, in your opinion, if had there been a, a, a council meeting in public with regards to this issue before its elimination, may we not have been in this problem that we're at today? Do you see no, that? No, we'd, st we'd still be in the same problem. I, mean, the, the, I, I had to raise the issue, and maybe I raised it backwards, but you know, if they have the meeting and they decide this policy, the policy did not, uh, violates the Brown Act. So uh, the only reason I'm bringing in this second issue is I, I would like very much a, 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 a recommendation from the commission that this not happen again, that this idea that the agenda setting committee can somehow uh, make these rules, other uh, not council, uh, needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped now. Uh, it's, it's against the Brown Act. It's covered in our rules of, of order. And in fact, our rules of order right now say exactly the opposite of, of what this policy says. There is no exclusion. Thank you. Yeah, I've got some questions. <clears throat> I've got some questions for the city. So we start at Council person Vela's compliance with B3. So my first question to you would be, is a hotel a public place? Yes, and, and I should say it is a public place so long as the room where council member Vela is, from where she is participating remotely, is made open to the public so that a member of the public who is in that area could go and appear in that room and appear at the meeting there. And so do we know that the council woman had permission to invite members of the public, be it one person or 10 people or whatever it was? In my experience with hotels is that there are limitations on the number of people who can be invited to a room or any place of public uh, accommodation. From what I observed of the meeting, it looked like she was in her room. It looked like the meeting for that day went pretty late. And so had, for example, 10 people from the public wanted to attend that meeting from her hotel room, I'm not sure if that would have been considered public. I'm not sure if she would have had the right to allow 10 people from the public to allow, in her room to participate in the meeting. But do we know what the parameters are on, on that like public openness? Because my experience is that hotels are uh, open to the public, but they're on private property, and so a hotel owner could tell anyone to leave at any particular time for pretty much any reason. Sure, and I think, th let me take the, the first question you asked and then address the sort of hypothetical at the end. Um, the short answer is my understanding is that the area where she was was publicly accessible. Now, whether that was her room through some arrangement with the hotel, 
whether that was a conference room where the, the accessibility issues would be different. Uh, I frankly don't know those details, um, but my understanding is that she understood and made arrangements that the room from where she participated had to be made publicly accessible. As to the other issue, you know, in theory, if too many people appeared at a hotel and you know, maybe it violated the uh, you know, ordinances around the, the number of people who can safely appear in a building, I mean, that type of issue could happen here as well and arrangements would have to be made. Um, it's, it's difficult, I think, to anticipate every potential permeation of that and that certainly wasn't the case at the meeting on November 21st. Okay. Um, one, one other comment related to that, you know, under, under subsection B, and this was one of, the, one of the issues that raised challenges during COVID, uh, under subsection B, if, for example, Council Member, Council Member Vela had been participating in the meeting on November 21st from her home, she would have had to open her home to the public to participate there. And so subsection B does apply to, you know, if a council member is participating from private property, they have to make that, that property available to the public. Yeah, I think the difference that I would make there is that if she was participating from her home, she would have the authority on who could be admitted and not. As far as I can tell, you know, as a guest of a place of private property, she really doesn't have the control for who can and can not be admitted. I actually took the liberty of calling the Best Western Dana Point just to see what their policies were. Um, what was expressed to me by a person yesterday afternoon was that no more than four people can be in a hotel room at any particular time, that noise needs to be kept to a minimum to respect other guests, et cetera. Um, so it's just, I'm not sure if hotel qualifies as a public place. Might, might I chime in? Because I have a lot of experience with noticing hotels. Typically, council members have participated from hotels from various locations across this country. Um, most recently, you know, council member Harris Spencer, and council member Harris Spencer is listed again for the next upcoming meeting. And I would say this. If the council member ran into an issue with a number of people wanting to participate, they have, and one person before did check out the conference room and took the meeting from the conference room, and also at that point in time when the issue was came up, it would be addressed. So if Malia had 10 people come to her that night, she would have addressed it at that time and either left the meeting or gone to a conference room and addressed it at the time. So it's, it's not something that we make huge arrangements ahead of time because it's very typical that these type of uh, you know, hotel rooms are posted as the location. And it's not just with the city, it's with most cities in California. I appreciate that. Uh, also say that we wouldn't necessarily know if there were 25 people congregating in the parking lot who wanted to get in and were told by hotel staff while the councilwoman was in her room taking the meeting. But I, uh, I take the point. Um, on the other issue of the jurisdiction that the Sunshine Ordinance doesn't extend to the agenda group policy board. What's the support for that? What's the support for that the Sunshine Ordinance doesn't extend there? Sure, I, it would be the limitations of the ordinance itself. So the, the ordinance itself deals with providing public access, uh, essentially extending beyond what the Brown Act provides. It doesn't have anything proscribing the council from you know, assigning to staff uh, agenda setting responsibilities. And so was the gathering 
or meeting that uh, occurred in which this decision was made. Was that a meeting under the Sunshine Ordinance? No, uh, it, didn't, it didn't involve the elected officials uh, or members of the commission. So no, it wouldn't have been a meeting. A meeting under the Sunshine Ordinance that would require uh, public access. So just to, just to clarify, the only attendees at that meeting were non-elected city employees. That's my understanding. And yes. the mayor. Oh, so there was one elected. Right, but that's not a quorum. Understood, understood. As I, as I look at the, the uh, definition of meeting, so we're saying that it doesn't qualify as a policy body. Is that right? Correct. Uh, you asking me that question? Well, I'll ask both of you that question, sure. So yeah. the, the short answer is you're correct that that meeting was not a public meeting. Uh, but it's important to note that in the delegation of authority, the, the city council expressly keeps the right to revisit the issue. So the delegation starts with the clause that says, unless the council directs an item be placed on the agenda. I'm paraphrasing, not quoting, right? So should Let's say that, that a majority of the council disagreed with the decision here by the agenda setting staff. They could have taken up uh, council member Herrera's referral, Spencer Herrera's referral, and they could have reversed the decision. They opted not to. That's, that's a power that they reserve, even though they have assigned the agenda setting obligations, including logistical obligations related to setting the agenda to city staff. Now, if I can respond to that, the, the, the delegation, if, it, if in fact there was a delegation, and there's not, but let's assume there was, it's delegating policymaking discretion to a non-elected, privately meeting body. Now, uh, uh, there's no public notice of it. Nobody knows anything about it till it shows up on the agenda notice. Uh, I can't think of a clear violation of the Brown Act, wh wh whether it's a, 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 a delegation or not a delegation. It's a policy matter. Under no circumstances can a non-elected body make policy, make city policy. I would say that we simply disagree that that's, that's city policy. It's, it is a logistical rule regarding the conduct of meetings, and it falls squarely within the agenda-setting authority uh, of city staff. So could that group then of non-elected plus the mayor, plus any, it looks like city council member who wants to join, um, could they similarly decide to change the location of a meeting as part of the agenda-setting? In theory, but- We, we the, do it all the time. Right, so, so for example, so they could just say, hey, the next meeting we're gonna have, we're gonna meet at the beach. And then everyone would have to go to the beach. And no one could weigh in on that. That would just be a decision that could be made as part of setting the agenda. Yes, and it's yes. done regularly. And, and of course, the council would have the opportunity to revisit that issue if it disagreed. Right, but they would have to do it at the beach where the non-elected group had decided. We hold special meetings all the time. Sure, sure. No, I understand. I'm just trying. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand because I, I tend to agree with Mr. Foreman when when I see agenda setting. I 
tend to see a distinguishable point on procedure and or vehicle. But if it sounds like at any particular time, the non-elected group can choose the location, format, all that stuff. And then the only ability for anyone to complain about that would be at the next meeting, right? Um, then, then maybe the, the point of clarification needs to be in the handbook. I suppose as a practical matter, I'm, I'm not sure I would agree with the last point, that the only opportunity that people have to complain would be at that next meeting. Certainly the only opportunity at the meeting to complain would be at the location identified by city staff. But people living in Alameda complain to city council members, to the mayor, all the time through other venues. And, and as elected officials, they, of course, have to be responsive to those issues as well. Isn't it a, a bit different, though, changing the agenda location as opposed to suspending public comment altogether? Well, I think we should be careful here in that public comment was not suspended altogether. On non-agenda items, it was. Well, no, no, remote public so. comment was right, suspended remote. on non-agenda items. Correct. Right. So, right. So compliant with the Brown Act, and I think it's important to take a step back and remember that while the agenda-setting staff do have authority to make logistical changes to the agenda, logistical changes to the meetings in order to ensure, uh, to facilitate an efficient meeting, uh, they still have to make sure that the meetings comply with the Brown Act. Here, limiting public comment on non-agenda items to in-person comments does not run afoul of the Brown Act in any way. And so there was, there was no concern with agenda-setting staff making that change. Let me, uh, let me uh, impress upon you what I've said before. Setting meeting time, uh, setting uh, speaking time is a council function. It's a policy matter. It has historically, without exception, been determined by city council, not by an agenda-setting committee. I will agree that an agenda-setting committee could move the location of a meeting. But that has nothing to do with this. Mm. The last thing I would say, which uh, uh, Commissioner uh, Mieo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm sorry if I'm not, uh, is uh, 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 referring to, is that such an important delegation of power, if that's what it is, in the handbook, no resolution, no municipal code provision, it just it, it boggles my mind as 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 you know why there's and, and now on top of that they're saying it's a formal declaration uh, I, uh excuse me a uh, a formal uh i'm missing the word but, uh, but you know what i'm referring to it's it's a very weak basis to to uh to assign uh, uh, this duty to a non-elected body. But that's not the major issue before us right now. Commissioner Tudos. Yeah. Okay, so just to, I guess, piggyback on Commissioner Miao's sort of example here, I just wanna make sure I sort of get this right, because I think we're in the gray area, was there a delegation, was there a meeting, or was it a vote? Tell me if this hypothetical could happen. The Zoom bomb bombing happens. The mayor says, 
we got to stop this. So she goes to her staff and says, you know what, we got to figure something out. And her idea is to, you know what, let's just go away with the Zoom comments coming in, but we'll let, let them for agenda items still happen. It doesn't sound like the group meets together. It could be all emails, it could be all phone calls, and um, Laura, you know, you could chime in after, after, let me make a couple more comments, but like what, what really happened here, or if we went down my path, could that happen, and that would be the practice taken by the council next time? The mayor calls, tells her staff, hey, this isn't right, I got this idea, let's go with it. Everyone thinks, hey, you know what, this might work. And now, that's the point we're at, it's finalized, as Mr. Foreman said, it's like a declaration, and this is how we're gonna run our meetings now without any kind of vote. By going down that saying we don't have a prescriptive way of doing this, could my scenario happen? If I could respond to that. H hold on, let me get, let me get the city's down. response first. Okay, sure. sure. The short answer is yes, but I wanna make sure that I, I understand what you're asking specifically. So when you say that the mayor could call her staff, uh, I understand. Or call, call Laura, okay, I, or I someone, in, an attorney, anyone there who helps out. I, I was gonna say that I'm assuming that you're talking about the agenda setting staff, so the yes. staff that, that are, are making the agenda for the city council meeting. Yes. And the short answer is yes, right? Because there wouldn't be a, a quorum, there wouldn't be enough members of the elected body to trigger uh, the Brown Act, to require a public meeting. Uh, and then once that happened, you would have a meeting where all of the council members would be involved, and if there were concerns among the council, just as happened with council member Herrera Spencer's, Spencer Herrera's referral, um, the council could then address the issue more broadly. So the short answer is yes, but again, the council still has the opportunity to revisit the issue should it deem it appropriate. Okay. And might I add on? Let me get one okay. more chime in on this one. Okay, so it happens, the agenda delegation puts it on the meeting invite saying this is how it's gonna go now. So then all the other council members could technically see it and they're just surprised by this new procedure at the first meeting, right? But it's legal, legal because it's not going under any kind of ordinance right here. So you come to this next meeting, you're a council member, you're like, oh, wow, we're not gonna let any public speakers via Zoom talk during non-agenda items. That, so that, that could be a complete surprise to everyone, correct? And it was, I believe. And it was? Yes. Okay. So, but then that meeting would be technically legal by the Brown Act and Sunshine Act to proceed in that manner because one of the first things we go is, hey, is there anyone who has a public comment on non-agenda items? And that's usually at the top of the list. So we'd be going by these new standards, correct? Okay, so we're going, so, but that's all legal. So that sounds like, that's a pretty big thing to just put on some council members, as Mr. Foreman said. Like, you get blindsided by this, and now it's like, okay, so we have to be reactive and say no, as Trish, or Herrera Spencer said, hold on, do we really wanna do this? Rather than being open and proactive. So now you're forcing the council to be reactive. Okay, like, are, are we straying into let the me, discussion no, part? 
No, no I was I, asking I, this question. question I, it was a question. Yeah, and I. I, I okay. I'm, I'm still I'm still trying to answer the question if if I could. We get Laura. She's okay. been <laughs> wanting to chime in on this because I think she has something pertinent. So basically, what that provision of the handbook says is at that meeting, council could have overruled that and voted at that meeting to allow it via Zoom. And then, as you said, council member Horace Spencer did a referral and that because she saw it at that meeting and then yeah, got blindsided, then she and, brought it up. And then okay. the council voted on that at the, or chose not to and, address and we, it at the last said, meeting. And said, you know what, this idea that came up by the mayor, we like it, we're going to go with it. And that's what we did. Yep. Okay. Okay. Now let me respond to that. Well, let's, actually, let's ask the chair if it's okay. I, oh, I'm, yes. I'm no, done no, with no. my question. Right. Well, I haven't had a chance to answer your question, so let me answer the question. Uh, no, I only uh, asked the, Mr. the city. Mr. Foreman, you may answer the question. Go for it, Mr. Foreman. Okay. okay. The November 21st meeting it would be a good example of what actually happened. What actually happened at that November 20th, excuse me, let's start with the November 7th meeting. The November 7th meeting is where the hateful comments were made. And the mayor initially, although she was obviously distressed, allowed them to be made. But then in the course of the meeting, she walked over to the city attorney and she asked the city attorney what she could do about this. And the city attorney said, you do not have to, you can cut these people off. You can mute them because they're talking about something outside of the subject matter jurisdiction of the city. So that's what entailed at that meeting. Now at the November 21st meeting, council had no idea that this was gonna happen until they saw it on the agenda uh, for, the, uh, for the meeting of November 21st. Yeah, but of course they would have seen that 12 days before the meeting actually occurred. But there was nothing in that notice that gave them any information as to where that policy came from. So when the meeting started, uh, Councilwoman uh, uh, Spencer asked the city clerk, where did this come from? In other words, council didn't even know where it came from. And the city clerk rightly informed her that it came from this committee. I do not recall the city clerk or anyone else telling city council that they had the right to uh, reject this recommendation because it was already on the agenda. It was already done. Now, the correct way to have done it would have been after, at the November 21st meeting before any changes were made to place on the agenda for that meeting, 12 days before the meeting, a city council consideration of amendment of the rules of the uh, rules of, of, of conduct to, to uh, eliminate non-agenda public comment. Then that would have been discussed at the meeting of November 21st, and it would have either been accepted or denied. Now, I would have still been here objecting to it, but not because it was an unlawful action of council, but because it was in violation of the Brown Act. Chair Chen, may I respond to a couple of points that Mr. Um, Foreman yes. made that were not in response to the Commissioner Telos's question? Okay, go ahead. Thank you. So 
Mr. Foreman made a couple of points suggesting that because there were other options available that this option was illegal. Uh, one doesn't flow from the next. So the fact that uh, at the November 7th meeting, the council could have shut off some of the comments while they were going on rather than let them continue doesn't mean that they, they don't also have, doesn't mean the city doesn't also have the right to stop remote public comment on non-agenda items. Similarly, just because it's possible that the council could have brought on an agenda item to discuss whether to have remote public comment on non-agenda items uh, versus the agenda setting staff making that decision separately, um, the, the option for the council to bring it up itself doesn't preclude the city staff from doing the same thing. The fact that there, there is one option doesn't preclude the second option. Okay. So on the agenda setting, so if I take your exhibit, page 48, the paragraph that's not highlighted, it states, the agenda is the official guide for council meetings. Prepared by staff, the agenda includes current legislative and policy issues that the council reviews and on which the council may take action. And then it says, you know, dot, 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 the council can't take action on items or issues which are not listed on the agenda. So it would seem that things in which this group is setting the agenda are current legislative and policy issues that the council reviews and on which the council may take action. But I think what happened here was three people plus the mayor made a decision right, that wasn't put on the agenda for the council to review. A decision about the agenda itself. So a decision about logistical issues related to the operation of the meeting as opposed to the policy issues, the substance of the agenda itself. And might I add, the, the council never voted to implement hybrid. Staff worked on the, um, all of the logistics, figuring it out. We set up the technology. We brought forward that technology at the soonest possible meeting, but council never voted to approve hybrid format, not once. What they voted on in the past was that they could participate via teleconference. And they would talk about, when we come back, we want it to be hybrid. But they never directed it. They never voted on it. So we never changed a council vote. Whether they voted on it or not, they held hybrid meetings. And they have to comply with the law, either B or F. They can't just have a meeting. They complied with B. Well, and actually, again, I'd like to respond to Mr. Foreman's comment. You know, he, he's framed the issue as hybrid meetings means any meeting involving members of the public participating or observing remotely. And that's not what hybrid meetings mean under the Brown Act. It's important to think about the purpose of the Brown Act. The Brown Act is concerned with whether council members are here in council chambers, in person, and accessible to the public. That is the paradigmatic city council meeting as, as contemplated under the Brown Act. The provisions for remote participation are concerned with members of the council or commissioners on commissions participating remotely because that remote participation can impact the public's ability to speak directly to the council. So for example, if this meeting tonight were being held remotely, if you all were, were participating by teleconference, 
for whatever reason, depending on the reason, we would have to comply with the, the applicable provision of the Brown Act. But just because Mr. Foreman is participating remotely, that does not implicate the Brown Act. Just because a member of the public may or may not be observing remotely, may or may not want to make comment remotely, that does not implicate the Brown Act. And so it's important when we're talking about what is and isn't a hybrid meeting to keep in mind the goals of the Brown Act, the limitations of the Brown Act, and when the Brown Act is dealing with hybrid meetings, what the Brown Act is actually concerned with. And I just want to make sure that doesn't get lost here. Okay, well, uh, can we move on to seeing if there are any speakers? Yes, we do have two. Uh, Zach Bowling, oh wait, let me, I'm sorry, first I could take out. Sorry, I'll remove Mr. Foreman to an attendee. Okay, and then the first is uh, Zach Bowling. Mr. Bowling. Should be there. Uh, evening. Um, yeah, I just wanted to call out. I wrote a letter to council um, on this issue specifically, but it was on the council referral item for Herrera Spencer's item um, that came up that was in relation to this. And I kind of spoke to some of these issues that were um, in this complaint in that same letter. Um, so the first complaint is partially addressed by changes that we made with AB 2449. It was a bill that a bunch of my groups, um, my uh, activist groups were actually involved with um, helping come up with that bill and also lobby it through the legislature. So if we want to talk to intent, I, I can speak to intent about what we um, intended with that law. It actually did a lot more initially um, through the assembly and then through discussing with different groups, um, it kind of refined. So um, in no way does our Brown Act or our Sunshine Ordinance mandate any kind of prescribed participation of meetings. In fact, that was sort of the intent of the legislature, that that option is up to cities. So having this option of, of splitting sort of the meetings to be, um, some can be remote participation, some can't, that was actually fully intentional um, as much as my activist group tried to actually make fully remote participation after talking with a bunch of groups, we realized that was going to be a lot on certain cities. So um, the provisions had changed quite a bit during the legislative process. So that got only applied to the 10 largest cities. Um, and then later, through reconciliation, it changed even more. But that was definitely the intent to give cities more flexibility in their ability to um, have their own policies around what they wanted for remote participation. Um, so there isn't anything that decides this. Um, those bills also talk about remote participation of members of the, the legislative body. It goes into detail, like you can pull up the analysis and the discussions um, between the legislators about like things like what's happening in the first complaint um, and when you can notice and how you notice. And I don't see an issue with the way things were noticed. So um, from my reading, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> I am not a lawyer in this state. Um, but from working on the actual bills and lobbying these things through my layman sort of interpretation is there's no um, uh, violation here, having spent a lot of time on this issue with trying to um, continue to amend the Brown Act to allow for more participation. 
Um, so I will leave my comments at that, but I will say that um, my letter is still on the um, attached corresponding item for um, Herrera Spencer's item to city council. Um, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other speakers? Yes, there's more remote and then one in person, but we'll go through the remotes now. Uh, Carmen Reed. Good evening, Open Government Commission. It's nice to see all of you and uh, thank you all for your, um, your volunteer work to serve our community. I'm calling um, to support Mr. Foreman's complaint and I agree with the, uh, with the argument he astutely laid out. It's clear that the city is in violation of the Brown Act and is preventing the public from participating in remote meetings on non-agenda items. Over the past few years, I have been attending city council meetings on Zoom, and I have witnessed mostly positive and informational comments during non-agenda comments or during that section. Only recently did we witness disrespectful Zoom bombers who were quickly informed of a standard of decorum at city council meetings. Some positive examples of public comments I have heard from our own community members who called in through Zoom over the past few years on non-agenda items have been, here's just a few examples of why this, uh, by you know, by uh, maintaining it open um, for people to call in, it's beneficial to our community. For example, there was a child who was asking the council for a stop sign in their neighborhood. Um, there have been welcoming announcements to the community, such as special events, um, including the annual Buddhist temple fundraiser, El Rancho, and other um, you know, school events, Earth Day events, and, and comments regarding public art, et cetera. The open comment on um, non-agenda items is an important part of our democratic process, which allows the public to participate fully in our city government and be a part of what I believe to be a welcoming community. By excluding the public from calling in on Zoom on these non-agenda items, the city is in essence discriminating against the elderly and, and disabled, also caregivers, they're excluding young people and families, like busy parents, and other people who may not be able to attend in person at City Hall for whatever reason. I believe our society is well prepared to participate on Zoom, a 21st century technology we have all likely embraced and has allowed so many people um, to participate from the comfort of their home to be able to participate in meetings. All of the other non all of the other regular agenda items allow Zoom participation. Why exclude the public during non-agenda items? This is not equitable and seems unnecessarily exclusionary. This complaint is about common sense and I ask your commission to do the right thing and please comply with the Brown Act and the spirit of open government. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have an in-person comment? Uh, Shelby Sheehan. Uh, I just want to speak briefly on this. Uh, my, uh, and I spoke at this at the city council meeting uh, on the item too, is that the procedure for the usual procedure that had been followed uh, long back as people were talking about it when you're going to change how an agenda is done, and it was just done a couple months before that, was 
uh, through an item at City Council. It's not been done the way it has been before. Um, I think that does violate the Brown Act for open meetings for things like that. And so um, I wouldn't necessarily, I think it, it would be worth a public discussion to see uh, what the public thinks about uh, whether uh, non-agenda public comment should be be a Zoom, and that would be an important part of it. Public hearing, right? Public hearing. And then the other thing is that the Sunshine Ordinance does go farther than the Brown Act. So even if it doesn't violate the Brown Act, the Sunshine Ordinance um, is intended for um, the most open and transparent government uh, uh, procedure possible, right? It even says right in the Sunshine Act that it does go farther, and that's the intent of it. So I think it would be wise to have a public discussion about this on a city council agenda and then see what happens after that. Thank you. Thank you. We have three more room out. Okay. Uh, Jay Garfinkel. Good evening. I'm uh, speaking in support of uh, Mr. Foreman's uh, complaint. Um, the Brown Act specifically requires uh, a period where the public can comment on non-agenda items. You know, when the when the agenda was first published, I uh, looked through all of the uh, exhibits. I read uh, the city attorney's comments. I read Mr. Foreman's comments. And then I researched it in the uh, actual law itself. Mr. Uh, Foreman is absolutely correct in his uh, explanation. Uh, you can get into various kinds of little uh, picky arguments about how many people can be in a hotel room. That's irrelevant. Uh, Zoom meetings are permissible. Uh, and uh, at this time, they have to be uh, permitted on regular, for regular meetings. Uh, it should also be noted that uh, Nothing in the uh, city rig rules, regulations, or, uh, allow the uh, non-city council actors to make an agenda item change such as this one. Uh, the purpose of blocking the non-agenda comments was to uh, prevent the Zoom bombing. It's ironic, though, that subsequent to this, the mayor herself put forward an agenda item that invited hateful speech to be made as an agenda item uh, period of comment. Uh, this resulted in what was probably the most uh, hateful, uh, contentious meeting that I have ever seen held by the city council. And that was put on by the very same mayor who wanted to block uh, Zoom bombing. I think that there were a lot of uh, irrelevant uh, examples and comments. It was somewhat like uh, first year law school moot uh, court in the way, uh, it was like gaslighting. Some of the comments just were way off base and uh, simply distracted from the main uh, issue. And the main issue is that public comment is allowable on non-agenda items. It is permissible by uh, to be done by Zoom and the uh, staff, including the mayor, is not permitted to make the kind of pronouncements that they made. Thank you. Thank you. Any more public comment? Matt Reed.
Hi, uh, thank you, Commission, for the work you do. Uh, I just wanted to um, kind of echo what Mr. Garfinkel was just saying, but point out uh, more specifically that, that there's two things going on. The process by which this policy was adopted uh, behind closed doors was completely out of bounds. The council had spent tens, if not hundreds of hours discussing whether or not to come back to hybrid meetings from fully remote meetings over the last three to four years. It was a very public discussion. Public was invited to comment on it. That's how it's supposed to be. And yet here we have a fundamental change to how meetings are run, conducted behind closed doors, completely unacceptable. Um, as far as the content of the policy itself, it's not effective. Uh, anyone can call in any other time during an agenda item and do their Zoom bombing if that's how they intend to behave. Uh, the, the, you can't give in to cowards like this by developing policy uh, against them. Uh, what I may suggest is a quicker finger on the mute button uh, to catch them a little earlier in their rantings uh, so they can't continue uh, and waste everybody's time and, and spread uh, hateful vitriol. So nobody wants to hear that, uh, but the policy as adopted was, was a halfway measure, which is not effective and has the net effect of excluding groups who, thanks to technology, have now been more uh, granted access to these meetings, which has been good for the community. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Reed. Anyone? Dorothy Freeman. Good evening. Uh, I have a short comment. If the council was surprised that night uh, that the changes had been made, then so was the public. And if there were people waiting to comment that night, then they were denied access to be able to participate in the meeting. Having a committee making decisions like this uh, can lead to the public being left out of, of participation in meetings. And that's what the whole uh, reason for having public meeting is. So I think that, uh, uh, that this should not be allowed to happen because of the fact that our, your job is to make sure the public gets participation. Thank you. Thank you. That was the last thing. Okay, that was the last one. So, commissioners, is there a motion or should we discuss you this? You have the closing statements. Pardon me? Oh, I'm. Is that right? I'm trying to read your instructions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just following the here. Complainants closing statements. Oh, complainants. Okay. Oh, this was just commissioner's questioning. I jumped. It's okay. All right. I'm sorry. No uh, problem. We have the complainant's closing statement and then followed by the respondent's closing statement. And then either we entertain a motion or we discuss the issue here. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm promoting Mr. Foreman. Mr. Foreman, you've been promoted. You can turn on your camera and unmute. You know, it's amazing how two lawyers, maybe that's why I don't practice anymore, can make something so simple, so complicated. There are only two sections that can possibly apply to this case, B or F. B only applies if someone is remotely attending. So only the November 21st meeting is even remotely covered under B. Both sections, B and F, require that the public be allowed, even remote members of the public, be allowed to make their public comment. 
this is not a question of legislative intent. It's a question of the plain English of the statutes passed by the legislature. And uh, I will I will end my co comments there. Thank you. Find it the closing statement. Thank you, commissioners. With regard to the agenda setting issue, I think it's important to remember that the practice here in changing the rules, changing the uh, logistical issues around how meetings are conducted uh, were handled consistently with the way that they were handled in the past regarding remote meetings. This, again, did not result in any Brown Act violation because as we've discussed in detail, the Brown Act does not require any remote access. Mr. Foreman himself admitted that the city could cut off all Zoom access to commission meetings, to council meetings, if it deemed appropriate without running afoul of the Brown Act. And in fact, other cities have done just that. Now, Alameda, again, in response to this Zoom bombing issue, took a more limited approach, preserving remote access to public comment on agenda items. And so far, that has worked well. Alameda is not the only city that has taken this limited approach. The city of Brentwood recently did the exact same thing. Mr. Foreman, again, continues to sort of confuse the meaning of hybrid meeting under the Brown Act in arguing that subsection B only applies if a council member is appearing remotely, but subsection F applies regardless of whether a council member is appearing remotely. Mr. Foreman ignores the plain language of the statute. Subsection F is crystal clear. It only applies when a council member is appearing remotely. And when a council member is appearing remotely because of an emergency circumstance or because of just cause. And essentially under the statute, those two categories mean a personal medical emergency or a family emergency. None of those applied to the meetings in question. The meetings were completely compliant with the Brown Act. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Do we have a motion or do we want to discuss this? Commissioner Tiers. Yeah, I'd like to discuss and maybe just discuss do we want to bifurcate this and stab it because there's like two different pieces one is the the november 21st meeting and the other part is the procedural piece of it um commissioners do we want to tackle it in that direction just let's solve one then solve the other okay so which one do you want to start with well, i guess let's go in order so the remote meeting as commissioner meow question the city it looks like you know it's standard practice to have a council member be remote be in a hotel and you know it seems like if there was an overflow if there was you know access problems then they'd go to plan b just as they would over here if the hundred people all decided to come in the city hall then you know what we open up another room and 
we make them, we make do with what we have. And it sounds like that didn't happen at this meeting. There's no proof of it. So I would figure this is standard operating procedure. So I don't see anything being violated. I agree. I think that the, um, the city has argued that uh, Mr. Foreman was looking at F and not at B. And so if you look at B, it's basically what the standard operating procedure was before COVID, which is if a council member or elected official needed to have a, be present at a meeting remotely, it's covered under B here, which is different qualifications than under F. So, so the, the, the two attorneys, talking about two attorneys, we're looking at two different sections of this. So I, I personally see no violation um, on that issue. On the, on the second issue, I'm gonna agree with just about everybody who spoke, which is basically, I have spent the better part of two whole days reading everything. And if I, I don't have a law degree, but I should have one by now. But all I have to say is when you read something, you look at it and you say, is it against the law or not? So the Brown Act does not prohibit um, cutting off public comment remotely. It doesn't say if you do one, you have to do the other. It doesn't say it's silent on it. So as far as I'm concerned, the Brown Act was not violated. But the second part of that is I think that it's really important that people be able to have public comment. And I think that it's really important that this issue should be discussed at the city council because it's, it's a decision that impacts the city council and the community. But it's not a Brown Act issue per se, but it's a city council issue where if you're gonna change the fact that you're gonna take away something that you once provided, which was easier access for the community to speak to the council, then you should at least discuss it publicly and vote on it. So I know this is kind of crazy and this happens when you read a lot of things and you've just had um, cataract surgery. So <laughs> but what I have to say is, it's, is I didn't see a violation of the Brown Act and I, I, you know, I truly respect Mr. Foreman and all of his years of experience uh, but these are new provisions in the, in the Brown Act after he worked so hard on it. And I'm looking at the fact that if the law doesn't say it's prohibited, it's not prohibited. It's not a violation of Brown Act, but it is something that we as a city, as a resident of Alameda, want to see restored, but at least have the council publicly talk about the positions that each council members have taken on this this particular issue as to why to allow or not allow um, non-agenda public comment on Zoom. It just the referral was addressed at the last council meeting. Oh, it was. Yes, publicly, the public was allowed to comment. The council was allowed to say their viewpoints. So the council has addressed it. So they've they have voted to. They have voted to not proceed with bringing it back and changing the policy. Okay. But, uh, excuse me. Um, 
But I don't think we should. We're not taking. I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you bring up the intent and whether we should have public comment or not have public comment. But I think the true issue is that the, the complaint was about the procedure. Should it just go to a delegative body like this? And did that action violate the Brown Act? And from listening to the city side, it looks like it was standard practice. So I don't think it was violated. I don't want to go into should we have Zoom or not Zoom for this decision. It's just was the procedure against the Brown Act to have a delegative body? And from the example I brought up, it looks like that's not a violation. The mayor could just call up, talk to her staff or this body, say, you know what, this doesn't sound right. But then all the council members do get a chance to say yes or no. So I think it flowed. Maybe we don't like how it flowed, but it's not a violation. Well, I, I don't know if just because the mayor did it doesn't make it not a violation. No, no, no. That's, that wasn't my point. I, my, I was g going to the totally other side of the story, devil's advocate. If the mayor said this, is it legal? Well, I didn't read anywhere where the, the authority to well, the Brown regulate Act. public comment via Zoom. No, I'm, I'm not talking about the Zoom part. I'm just talking about whether they could say, make a decision about the agenda items and how they're taken about. You know, just that act, not actually saying yes or no to Zoom, but can they make the decision? Can the mayor make the call to have this procedural change? And from what I'm gathering is that it was okay to do. Well, the Brown Act's not saying not to do it. But in practice, it does, in my opinion. It's not so much what happened to the council members, I think, is the issue we should be looking at. It's what happened to the public. Right? It's the public's comment that was excluded. And could it have been done by alternative means? Like, it was, it was open during agenda items but not during, not during non-agenda items. The problem still exists. It's still there. Why was it excluded for non-agenda non items, but not for agenda items? So the, the thing, that I, I, I liked what you were talking, your, your hypothetical and Meow's hypothetical, but I liked his because it seemed to focus on the public's exclusion. And that's why we're here. Not whether or not city council had an opportunity to weigh in and change and correct and see what was right. It's the public was excluded. And to, that, to the extent of the violation that it happened to the public, we'll never know. That's why we're here. That's how I see it. And as far as the meeting held to delegate the duty of whether or not the public can be heard, that is a city council function. That's not an agenda item setting. It, it may be done that way in practice, but that's in, that to me is, again, why we're here. To make, sure, to make sure it's done in public so the public can see and hear everything, right? That's how I see it. The, I have a question for oh. council, actually. Yes. <clears throat> can you give the background or history on how the handbook was enacted? Do you, like, was this done by resolution of the board? Is it just sort of like, yeah, or? or I, I, yeah, I, sure. Yeah, so um, the council had not had a handbook, and um, they decided to proceed with a handbook, and it was approved by the entire council. Um, the council members listed at the front of it are the ones who adopted it, and um, 
it was actually a follow-up recommendation of a grand jury thing related to something else, but the, this you know, went to the council and was approved by the council. And it, just like their adopted rules of order, setting the order of business, the things that are controlled that they set that we follow, that this is one more thing that they adopted that we follow. Got it. So the city council approved it, yep. resolution or something. Yep, they approved. adopted it. Got yep. it. So the thing that I'm... I tend to wonder if the agenda setting group, the city manager, city clerk, and city attorney, and or the mayor, and or other members of the council if necessary, qualify as a policy body under the Sunshine Ordinance, which was defined to include in D3, right, 2-91.1, D3, any board, commission, committee, or other body created by ordinance or resolution of the city council. So if the handbook was created by resolution, and you know, I take Mr. Foreman's point, the delegation of authority was issued to these people, then the policy body would fall under the Sunshine Ordinance, and therefore their meeting, I think, would fall under 2-91.1B1, which would be a congregation of a majority of members of a policy body at the same time and place, in which the agenda setting in which this decision was made, therefore should have been a public meeting, right? So I think you sort of like end up in one of these places where is th if that group was was in fact created by the council in a delegation of authority pursuant to a resolution, pursuant to the adoption of the handbook and code of conduct, then I think that their meeting to do that should have been open. Um, I, two years ago, based on a complaint from Mr. Foreman, actually, about what constituted a task force or ad hoc committee or Brown Act covered legislative body, uh, we did some research into that issue. And so the Brown Act does exempt advisory committees composed solely of the legislative body that are less than a quorum of the legislative body. But it can't be an advisory committee if they're making decisions. Yeah. Groups advisory to a single decision maker or appointed by staff are not covered as long as they are not created by a formal action of the legislative body. Well, I don't. Right, so, so I don't think so. That in other there. words, you're making me read this out loud. Uh, <laughs> it is possible. It is possible. I mean, you know, it just has to be really looked at. It was one of our recommendations two years ago that the uh, city council define well, I guess what I'm, was the legislative yeah. body. But well, anyway, this is, uh, again, no, I, I appreciate this discussion because. What's happened is all the issues that came up in the past that um, Commissioner Telos and I have jointly <laughs> experienced is that there were issues that needed to be resolved and, and uh, that's why I sent out the memo which people can access as to uh, the unresolved issues that came up in under past complaints. Of course, the other side of this is of course that the city council then had the ability to review this decision and ultimately decided to not. I'm not sure if that cures the procedural, potential 
procedural defect in which the public should have had an opportunity potentially to weigh in on the decision. But that's sort of what I'm thinking. And then of course my questions around city officials participating from places of purportedly public access, but potentially not public access is also potentially troubling. I understand that it's practice and it was offered to me when I was unavailable, but for the same reasons that are being expressed here for what I would have had to do, which is to open my hotel room on vacation to the public is not a bridge I wanted to cross. Uh, but I do wonder if that is being complied with in spirit um, or just sort of because we're saying that it's at the Best Western plus Dana Point and assume that it is accessible to the public. We're really not knowing. Anyway, sort of when I'm at the two items that are on my mind is whether the meeting in fact on November 21st complied with B at all. The second one is whether this delegated committee to set the agenda, if that in fact includes the ability to make decisions on behalf of the council to exclude or make procedure for them isn't a policy body that falls under the Sunshine Ordinance. Which I don't think was part of the complaint. Was it? I, I mean, you make a good point, I think, but I think, I'm, I'm just- I think it's the I'm second, just, I'm just the second part. If we go with Commissioner Tilos's bifurcation, right? The first one is like, right. did the meeting comply Second one is, did the decision made by the agenda setting group, body, committee, whatever we wanna call it, did that comply with the Sunshine Ordinance to cities, the city's point? You know, is that within our jurisdiction? I, I tend to think that it might be if it's, um, if that group is considered a body under 91.1. And, and how, what would it, in your understanding, would you need for it to be considered as such a body so then then their meeting right would fall under the definition of a meeting which would need to fulfill a bunch of requirements because a quorum was there just no different than the open government um, training that we receive like we're not supposed to reply all because it could be accidentally a meeting well that would be a meeting potentially open to to the public I'm not sure though if that's the right policy outcome because then you're gonna have like the city staff setting the agenda needing to meet with the public. But this is where I do think that the expansion of what that group can do to include things like setting procedure on behalf of the council in closed doors might be a step too far based on what the city is representing as an agenda setting item. Right, I think I would be fine if they were setting the agenda and it therefore followed that the agenda includes current legislative and policy issues that the council reviews, right? But this one was not necessarily, the council eventually decided to review it, but they didn't have to, right, if no one had taken it up. But then in my example, a meeting wouldn't even need to occur. Right, a phone call, an email. You would just go down the path and, hey, yeah. See, so 
if you're saying, you know, what does this, the power of this ad hoc committee or advisory committee, it's not needed. You don't have to have an advisory committee. You don't need to have an ad hoc committee. You just need a phone call or an email from the mayor in the current practice to say, hey, we're going to have the meeting at the beach. Don't have to vote on it. You know what? We're not taking away a power of participants in meeting. We took away a channel that they could get in the meeting. So I get your point there. That's like, OK, we had all of this, and now something's being taken away. But the whole kit and caboodle was taken away. It's like one way to access it, and that was the Zoom. So I think that's sort of where we're challenged here. It's like, how do we want to lean on that? But as far as like the procedural part, current practice right now says, just takes a phone call, takes an email. We don't have to meet. Laura is not going to meet with the city attorney and say, hey, let's all gather our votes if we're going to put this on. For location. For location, well, for taking away a channel of which the public could get in. And that's probably what the contentious part here is. It's like, okay, is that overstepping? And that's where us as commissioners have to say, it's in a gray area. Which way are we going to lean? Well, I didn't hear anything that they said they routinely took away channels of, of public comment. I only heard them say they took, they took away the Zoom access but, or but not routinely took away the access. They just said, yeah, we we now have a remote meeting. They they changed the location of the meetings, but they didn't. There's not evidence any. Oh, Mr. Foreman didn't have any. I didn't hear the city attorney have any say. Yeah, we we suspended Zoom on this date. We suspended Zoom on this date. We suspended. No, I, just it was a one time as a again a. Uh, um, uh, action because of the Zoom bombings. Okay, so that's can, it's a one time. Can we time. roll back to the, your bifurcation? Uh, the first, yeah. The first okay. part was whether or not uh, Councilmember Vela's uh, remote participation uh, was was um, not in compliance. Right? Was that? Is that even part of the complaint? Isn't it? That's the first piece of it. Yeah. Right. Well, if I, if I can just respond to that, I, I would actually disagree and take issue with your hypothetical of the mayor calling and then a decision being made in Syria Autumn with various people. Um, I actually think that that would be a meeting. You actually don't have to have three people in a room to make decision okay wait if, could, if, could if, we just focus on we keep bouncing between the two issues right you you, you lead us through that okay so on November 21st was that meeting held in violation of the Brown Act because Councilmember Vela uh, was at a remote location And the, the two are sort of intertwined. Well, not, we agreed to look at them separately. So was her participation remotely a violation of the Brown Act? I, I was just going to oh, briefly oh, chime sorry. in, commissioners. Sorry, just that it would be helpful to um, consider them as separate issues. I understand you may think of them as intertwined. When we submit our findings, they'll need to have supported uh, reasoning and basis for each decision. So to the extent that 
we can uh, have independent analysis or at least analysis that can apply to both. Um, that'd be very helpful. I'll make a motion to find that the November 21st meeting, which had the remote participation of Commissioner Vela, was not a violation of the Brown Act. I second it. Call for a vote. You want to do roll call? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Meow? I'm sorry, can you restate the motion? Oh, I can reread it. He found that the um, meeting on November 21st, uh, Commissioner Vela, or Councilmember Vela's remote participation was not a violation of the Brown Act. Uh, no. I, I don't agree with the motion. I don't know, I don't know which way. So, uh, nay. Uh, okay, Sullivan? Nay. Telos? Aye. Chen? Aye. That motion fails two to two. Okay, so the second part was, <coughs> was the, was the establishment, um, was the decision to uh, eliminate remote access to the, uh, for public, non-agenda public comment, was that act a violation of the Brown Act. Is, you don't think that's the correct question? Well, do we agree on the procedures taken and maybe that, that will help us get to the motion. Is it okay that it follows the standard operating procedure as a location change? Sort of feels like you guys are against that and it sort of <laughs> takes a higher precedence. So I guess that's the first question, uh, you know. I just think if we couch the issue in a better frame, I think we could answer it. Yes, I'm trying to get us there. Okay. Well, I guess without making a motion, I mean, and before we take a vote, right. I, mean, why, I mean, do we think that the procedure that was followed to make this decision adhered to the Brown Act Sunshine Ordinance. I don't believe it violated it, but I'm not against also notating that we're against it being able to not go through a council meeting and put that in our note section to the council, but I don't think we're in violation. So would it be excluding public comment via Zoom from non uh, regarding non-agenda items? A violation of the uh, Performed in a closed door meeting. 
and not subject to, to city council a violation of the Brown Act. And, and just so that I understand, because why don't you think it violated the Brown Act? There's certain procedures on how a meeting is done, like you know what time it's going to be, the location it's going to be, what's going to be A, B, C, D, and all that. And that's we don't have meetings on all of that. And the sword just falls on the procedure. It's like, hey, staff, where's the meeting going to be? Staff, hey, you know what? We had problems with the last meeting. Some people called in, said some things they shouldn't have said. You know, for the open comment sections, let's do away with that. Yeah, it's pretty strong to go that route, but the Brown Act, again, as our attorney said, was more of like access for the council members to be at these meetings. It wasn't access in for participants. Yes, as a commission, we want more of that, but that's not what the Brown Act is really saying. It's based on like the openness. Can you get to your commissioner? Are they open in a meeting? Are you in a hotel and can you get access to them? Brown Act's not really saying, you know, you have to make everyone have access to Zoom. Well, uh, perhaps, it, I mean, it, it, I really like the way <laughs> uh, Mr. Foreman put it, and really it's, I don't know if we have to get into the weeds about the procedure. He kind of breaks it down. Um, is the current situation a violation of the Brown Act the way it's currently set? Excluding non-public, I mean, excluding Zoom comment on, on non-agenda items. Is that currently a violation of uh, Section 54953? I, I can say undoubtedly yes, it's a violation. So is that your motion? Sure, so I'll make a motion um, uh, to advise City Council that the current Exclusion of non-agenda online or telephonic public comment is in violation of section 54953 of the Brown Act. I second it. So, sorry, can I ask for a clarification on the motion? Would that be for all meetings or specific to the November 21st meeting? Currently all meetings being held because that's what's happening now, correct? Isn't all public not uh, all public Zoom comment suspended and or yes. not yes. for all non-agenda items? Yes. Okay. Then yes, that's as it's currently set. Or is that just for City Council? Yeah. You had that. Yeah, like Park and Rec. It, they, this is not for them, right? Okay, right, just for, for City, City Council. Council. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think right. I said for City Council, didn't I? Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> as I said. Um, Violation is that you advise City Council that the current exclusion of non-agenda, so it's City Council meetings, not planning board meetings or historic advisory board meetings. Well, isn't, but isn't our motion to be, is this going to be founded or unfounded? It's not giving advice to the Council, right? I think that's what our motion has to be. Well, I've, right, exactly. So we find that the current exclusion of non-agenda online telephonic public comment is in violation of Section 54953. I'm sorry, Commissioner. May I request, is there a specific subsection that your motion pertains to? No. Is it? At the moment, I can't think. I, I, I do think it'd be advisable to, to pin down the, the subsection that way. 
it will substantiate the, the basis for the decision, whatever the decision ultimately may be. So it would be B. Well, there's it's F. Well, this is this is the only. Mr. Foreman argued B, correct? There. Uh, yes, there were. So there were, I think, two specific subsections um, addressed by Mr. Foreman, B and F. With regards to F, it was just generally. The requirement there's um, a specific subsection that requires uh, all public comments on all agenda items, including non-agenda items, be provided uh, through remote means. Um, with, with regards to B, let me make sure I pull up the correct one. Real quick. I think it's the, the other way around. So remote meetings or hybrid meetings? Do, do we all make that distinction? So he's. Addressing B2, uh, D, that the legislative body shall allow members of the public to access the meeting. That's how the discussion about the, the hotel came up. And he's also challenging it under B3, that it shall post agendas at all teleconference locations, location shall be identified, and it shall be accessible to the public. So those are two specific subparts of um, B, there's B2D and B3. So, but your first vote was that it wasn't a violation for the 1121 meeting for those sections. Yes, and that one failed. Correct, okay. Yeah. Just. Okay, so we have the current motion and the chair Chen seconded it, so I guess. So, but, but then you asked a clarifying question of like, how should we reference it, so that's where we're at. Are we waiting? Well, are, are, are we waiting? So someone so could just clarify the motion. I was hoping yeah. you were just a hoping bit more more on what the <laughs> yeah. specific motion actually is. Yeah. Ruben? I, I was going to be nay. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that motion well, would yeah. maybe fail. not as important so if, it might if, not if be it's not going to pass. Worth going <laughs> for it. So you'd be nay for B or F? Correct. Well, that's pretty futile what I'm doing here. Yeah. So we should so roll call. call the vote. Okay, call for right. vote. Okay, Commissioner Mio? No. Sullivan? Yes. Telos? Nay. Chen? No. That carries one, or that passes one to three. So in the, uh, in the statement that goes along with our finding, um, please, well, on my part, <laughs> please say that uh, we feel that public comment on non-agenda items is something that is of great value to the community and to the council members. 
and we we hope that they reconsider that in light of um, even I mean a lot of the comments that people made were very you know I agree with that uh, technology you know AI we can get rid of them you know <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just think that I want them to reconsider it do you want to make that a motion to include that in the statement? Is and that what you're trying to uh, say? Or no, uh, sorry. On, on we have three nays, right? So it'd be not passed. It failed. It failed. failed. Yeah, it failed. I think so she said passed. But, okay. I, I know, and then I corrected to failed. Sorry, okay. I was it's like, spacing. Hold on. It carried by negative is what I got confused by. But there you yes, go. It failed. Okay. <laughs> Actually, the thing that I would propose to add would be to clarify what is considered agenda setting and the bounds of that that are in the handbook, because I think that that's so, pretty that important. would be something for your annual report, right? You want to add that to well, the I annual guess report? I, I was sort of piggybacking on Chair Chen, sort okay. of like, it would be great if you could add this sort of comment okay. into the findings. Okay. Um, anyhow. <coughs> and people can sign on to that or not. Okay, so we are done with that hearing. Yes. <laughs> well, I yeah. think Oh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. Did was the actual vote taken on the yes, process of, of yes? Was it the first vote? The second vote. The, yes, that was the second. Mm -hmm. They voted on the one thing in the second vote. You voted on the motion, not on the complaint. I, I mean, you guys didn't use the exact five words that are listed, which are sustained with Karen Craig, sustained without Karen Craig, denied, denied as unfounded or dismissed. But I mean, you you didn't vote that way, but <laughs> I don't, <laughs> Do we those are your five options that you've created in your procedures. So it's, it's uh, denied. Okay. And any finding of violation would require a majority vote. Right. So the, the first one was. So you didn't find a violation. Yeah. We didn't have a majority vote. Yeah. Right. And so the second one. We did have we a. Did, we did, we voted <laughs> to deny it. Well. That was, you voted against the motion, which was not to sustain or deny it. <laughs> Correct. But Just so I'm clear, I'm the only one who saw a Brown violation here? Correct. Correct. Well, if we're still in discussion. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm clear. I did not see one. I voted no, and they voted I got no. it. Okay. I'm more concerned about the Sunshine Ordinance and the procedures, but we, we decided or that that wasn't necessarily the way to go. But uh, this is where, you know, if in fact, this agenda setting group was created as a resolution, via resolution by the city council, then it would seem that that group's meetings should be subject to the sunshine ordinance. And this is sort of what I think the city is getting at in its papers. It's sort of like, hey, there's this group, they get to do it. Well, they get to do it based on the delegation of authority that they've outlined in their papers via the handbook. That then seems to box them into the fact that that's a body other body created by ordinance or resolution of the city council, which would make what they did a meeting. Since a majority of the members of the policy body 
were at the same time and place or made a decision, et cetera. Um, that to me is a potential sunshine ordinance violation. But I don't think it's the exclusive jurisdiction. I think Mr. Foreman goes one step too far, which is where your motion went, which is why I voted against it. But um, th that's, that's, that's what I've been thinking. But. I, I've seen in other cities where they have a, a two-member council committee, rules committee, you know, they name it something, and they set the agenda. And that meeting is public. I mean, just as a comment. <laughs> And aside, so the way this city sets up the agenda is different than that. And but I don't know, um, you know, how far they go per se, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to going to rules committees of other cities and and seeing those done in the public, you know, with public comment and everything. So I, I can't. I I don't know how. Um, whether it's technical, you know, how, how, how far they stray into policy on ours because they actually should not. Okay. Next item, Commissioner. Is that any, any other discussion? Okay, do we want to take a five-minute break? We have another hearing coming up I don't mind just continuing just okay soldiering on sure. okay let's, let's soldier on okay. 3b is a hearing on the sunshine ordinance complaint filed on December 13th Okay, here's the procedure. Uh, the complainant has opening statement, 10 minutes. The respondent has 10 minutes. The complainant gets to reply to the respondent, and if needed, for five minutes. We question, the commissioners question both parties and witnesses. Okay. And then the complainants have a closing statement and the respondents have a closing statement. Okay, so Ms. Sheehan, you can Come on up. Hello again. Um, so as usual, I object to the proceedings overall because I don't think that they're equitable and I think they violate the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, uh, my, my experience from last time is that um, you uh, said something, my first complaint was unfounded, but uh, then you went on to a discussion afterward that affirmed things that I questioned about the agenda not having complete things, so I thought that was not um, proper, and uh, I wanted to clarify some things before you voted, and because you were going off into a tangent that I hadn't, um, that was not the, the focus of my complaints, and I wasn't even allowed to clarify it. And then the second one um, that you you said it was n not timely. Um, what you actually um, in a prior hearing had um, included the consent calendar at in the date, and so. It, it was contradictory. So I'm just hoping that if there's a question of clarifying and uh, that I could would be allowed to do that. Oh, and then one more is I had complained about something being spoken on at the meeting that was not in the agenda material. This is a clear violation and somehow got switched. 
because it was spoken on about about at the at the meeting, but that was what I had said was that it had been spoken out of the meeting, but it wasn't in the agenda items. Okay, so I'd like to the point of saying that in this one is to preface you for making sure that we that my what I've said is what you vote on. Okay, so um, uh, I also you know I mean I'm not I wouldn't be here if I liked the project right. So, but I don't don't dislike the project because. I don't like the project, who cares? I dislike the project because it's violated procedural rules and the law. So again, that's what this um, Sunshine complaint is about. I did send you some references just because um, they're documents that are some of the, that are part of the record and I wanted to make sure you had them. Um, I will be talking about them today. So, um, uh, so this is regarding the Oak Club parking lot project that is owned by the AUSD, it already has a CEQA um, finding on it for an NOE from um, AUSD in 2021, and so that's actually the overriding CEQA document. I don't know how they decided they could just override that and make a new one, um, but uh, it said that the, the use shouldn't change, so and that's why it was exempt, but um, uh, so, and so, um, so the other thing the, uh, about this project, uh, I'll just summarize, it's, it's not an administra administrative use permit, it's a use permit. I don't know how they get it called a use permit, but the bar for an administrative use permit is much lower. And so that's why they used it. They changed it right before they noticed the meeting. Um, they said it was use permit and design review, but there's no building permit for the trailer. There still isn't. Um, so they had a design review before they had the permit. Um, uh, they did not respond to my requests for information prior to the meeting, which the, the notice said that it would. The whole project violates CEQA because uh, it was deemed categorically exempt, but you can't be categorically exempt in a historic district. Um, the uh, application was never completed, even though the ordinance that was attached to the meeting says it was. Um, and uh, the permit itself was hidden from the public for two months, and uh, planning staff lied to the planning board in public and to me in emails. Um, uh, and the documents that were submitted for the agenda that were in the presentation and uh, in the permit all contradict each other, okay? So that's that's the summary of it. And then I'm just gonna go down to um, what, what Sunshine Ordinance things were. Um, well, let me go to this. Okay, so it, the project is supposedly for uh, 16 employees and, and uh, some small buses according to the permit, using uh, making multiple trips a day with seven-foot chain-link fence and adding a new portable building. Um, they got a letter of non-complete. This, oh, this was applied for uh, in August, August 24th, I think. Um, again, it wasn't shown to the public until uh, the end of October, and I had been um, going to the planning board and complaining to both uh, to, to the city that um, there's work without a permit uh, um, uh, out there and that it's right by my house over at the Oak Club. And uh, Alan Ty and Stephen Buckley both said they knew nothing about it. And then when I got a PRA uh, with the emails, they'd known about it since June. Okay. Um, so in the permit, it, the, the permit says that the surrounding, surrounding uses are none, which um, I think I sent that to you. The letter of incomplete is my number five exhibit in the email. They never got the info, so I don't know how the, um, how the permit could ever be deemed complete. It's still not. Um, it was the... Uh, Application itself, the permit number itself was changed uh, right before the public meeting was noticed from a use permit to an administrative use permit, and I have records of that. 
Um, nowhere in any of the materials does it say that the project is in historic district. So um, they don't have a certificate of approval, which they're supposed to have. Um, it's in all the land use documents. Um, and it's also in the Alameda Point EIR. There are lots of false statements that I can go through. Um, the regulatory framework um, uh, was not followed, including the zoning code, the historic preservation ordinance, and CEQA, as I said. Um, the uh, site characteristics um, in the permit are different from the actual site characteristics because the, sand the surrounding uses are all historic, and, uh, historic to them and they're all used. Uh, which it does not explain in any of the other materials. So the public notice was faulty because it said it was an administrative use permit and that and it didn't follow the administrative use permit procedure either. And it also didn't follow the use permit procedure. So it didn't follow any of the procedures. Um, so, um, and I, in my um, Sunshine complaint, I, I listed that out. Um, uh, the, the initial zoning clearance was under PLN 0334, and it says you need a use permit. Um, a lot, of, okay, public, okay, information errors per the Sunshine Ordinance, it's faulty if it lacks those things that I listed there, like um, no identification of parcel ownership, the effects of the activity, and it also has uh, irrelevant and or false information, such as CEQA compliance and the status of CEQA on the property and that the project is permanent. It was not posted on the property itself. I look, I walk that um, property every day taking pictures of what was going on out there. Um, and then, like I said, the staff wouldn't assist me. They did not provide me the required CEQA documentation prior to the, the meeting. And again, um, section 15300.2 of CEQA uh, accepts historic districts from uh, CEQA exemptions. Um, uh, then 21-2-91.3 uh, of the Sunshine Ordinance says the meeting should be open to the public. Uh, during my presentation, uh, the uh, Zoom wasn't working, so people could not comment on it. Um, then uh, the agenda materials, like I said, were faulty, and then I list a whole bunch of reasons why, and I can go through that later if you want me to. Um, they're not. Uh, the biggest thing is the permit applications, the agenda materials, and the presentation and I, and I listed that, uh, I, I took a picture of the presentation because it wasn't written anymore, so I had to go to the Zoom meeting to find it. They're all different from each other. The ordinance is different from the summary letter. The permit application is different from all the others. And then the presentation was unique that it had never, the public had never seen that information before. And the information provided in the um, planning meeting approval did not make it into the permit. So it's, it's a mess. And the reason is because it, the whole thing's illegal. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. Um, it never, the, that AUSD property never should have been used for that. It never should have changed uses. Um, they're not, the, uh, AUSD is not allowed to use their property for the type of use they have it there. It's a private vendor, it's fenced. So um, they're not supposed to do that. And also this private vendor doesn't just use this property for AUSD. They use it for Oakland schools and their Fremont schools. So they're causing traffic to go through the uh, Webster tube. They're causing traffic through the, um, through the neighborhood. They don't, they don't go out the main gate. They go through the neighborhood all the time, driving crazy. They have these three huge buses out there blocking the view. They're just like all in line with each other. They've blocked off use of the um, Oak Club parking lot, which, which they have an agreement with um, the Rec Park to be able to use. And um, because the Rec Park and the school district have cooperative agreements for that stuff all the time. It's always been used as a parking lot for the O Club. And so this is a change in use, and it's a higher intensity use. Um, like I said, there was that um, 
letter of information that I that I put in my email to you as reference, and uh, they never th that that's supposed to be done for for the project. It's never it's never been done. So there's there's no t they've provided no information about traffic. They've not provided any information about their vehicles except for something that's unsubstantiated in that presentation. Um, they're not they don't have any conditions on their permit now. Isn't that crazy? Um, so um, they didn't get a certificate of approval from from the historical advisory board, which they're required to do. It's in the historic district. It's within the line. So that's an absolute violation of, of procedure and the law. Um, uh, they, the planning board should have, the planning staff should have provided me with the secret determination ahead of time. I should have been able to um, comment it. It should have been an item by itself. And I would have said what I said today and what I said then is that exemption, categorical exemptions are not allowed in the historic district. Um, so that's false information too. I also um, tried to get some public information on it. Okay. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Steve Buckley. I'm the land use uh, planning manager here for the city of Alameda. Um, and as such, I'm involved as the uh, secretary to the planning commission, uh, the secretary to the historic advisory board. I also serve as the uh, zoning administrator um, for minor permits and supervise the staff. Um, we uh, conducted this review um, as we do all use permits. Um, and we um, look for uh, compliance with um, the intent of the, of the permit um, um, procedures as well as the intent of the um, Alameda Point uh, land use planning documents um, and the zoning code. Um, the um, oh, AUSD, yes. I'm, I'm really confused because I do not know what the violation uh, the city is being accused of the Brown Act violation. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, it just isn't clear to me what was the violation of the Brown Act. Right. Well, I, I don't think it was the Brown Act per se. Or I, the Sunshine Ordinance. Sunshine Ordinance. Yeah. The, the, the allegation, I think, um, was the Sunshine Ordinance was violated by not uh, providing proper uh, information um, that would inform um, interested parties of what the permit was and what the decision was. It's on page 55. I, I think um, the alleged violation of public record access and alleged violation of public meeting. but. Right. Yeah. Noticing. Yeah. I'll just put that out our neutral statement. Notice requirements. Notice is faulty. So it's it's the noticing, and I guess our area would be to say, hey, was it noticed correctly or not? Right. And so and so as far as the Sunshine Ordinance is concerned, is that was this item on the planning board? agenda adequately noticed so that a, a normal person would understand what was going to be discussed. The Sunshine Ordinance and the Brown Act does not require that every piece of information you need what? is required. But anyway, my, my, my question then is, so the violation is that 
the violation you're accused of is that it wasn't adequately noticed. Is that? And that, and that other information wasn't provided in a timely manner. I see. And that I think there is also an allegation about at the meeting uh, what happened with the Zoom link. Yes. So, and, and that's all in the, in the responsive documents to the complaint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just. I, I'd I'd be happy to rely on the on the written record and, <laughs> and answer any questions you have. Can you give us the cliff notes? <laughs> sure. Uh, so as I was saying, um, you know, we we have a standard procedure for each of these different kinds of hearing bodies and permits. Um, in, this uh, permit could have been heard by the zoning administrator at the staff level. It's a, it's a minor use permit or administrative use permit that could be heard by the zoning administrator. We started out there, but um, the complainant um, contacted us and was asking about it. And given her interest, we, we thought, well, well, we'll take it to the planning board. There seems to be some question here of whether you know this permit should be issued and, and um, you know, we, we wanted to, to have a full airing of this permit. So administrative use permit, use permit, it's a matter of who hears it. The, the actual criteria and process are otherwise the same. So um, the permit application is made, uh, we evaluate it, we write a report, we give public hearing notice, um, we conduct the hearing. The zoning administrator does conduct a hearing, it's usually just in a conference room, and then a decision is made and that decision is published. And so all of that process is actually the same except for who hears it. Um, and um, so it said administrative use permit, but it was also a use permit when we sent it to the planning board. It's essentially the same thing. Um, so I just want to make that clear. Um, and so the information that was published for the planning board included um, material that we received from the applicant, uh, the staff report, some some drawings um, that showed the site plan. And so um, that was all available. Um, the project description was, uh, we believe, accurate. Um, it gave everyone who was interested an opportunity to appear. It had a location, it had a description. Um, there were attachments that had more detail in terms of location and description. Um, the analysis was there, the findings were there, um, the conclusions and recommendation were there so that anyone who wanted to participate knew where we were headed. And I believe that actually happened, that people showed up and they participated and they understood what happened. And I think it's mostly that um, there might have been a preference for every different decision. Um, I think just to be clear, um, you know, there, there are zoning findings and CEQA findings and other things that were made. Um, I don't believe that's a Sunshine Ordinance issue per se of how the decision, you know, what decision was made, but more about was the information available, and I, and I believe it was. Thank you. Okay, is that? I think that's all. Great. Okay, so we have the complainant to reply to the respondent's presentation of facts. Sure. All right. Thank you. 
Okay, first, uh, if you look at the uh, Alameda Municipal Code, the two procedures are vastly different uh, from each other, and the the um, there's a reason for it. It's because one has uh, more rigorous um, requirements. And so if someone's coming to uh, a meeting thinking that they're going to be able to talk about all these other requirements that were not up for for discussion, then it hasn't been properly noticed. And not only that, but um, a zoning, an administrative use permit hel uh, before the zoning administrator can then be appealed to the planning board. So it actually reduced the opportunity. And so if, you, if you're not following procedure and you're not noticing the proper procedure, then that's a violation of 2-91.6 public notice requirements because when I, I describe the uh, project above, and then in my section two, I describe the violations. And when I say the, pro the public notice was faulty, um, based on what the rules in the Sunshine Ordinance, and I, I wrote them there. Um, so uh, I said again what the, what the process is and um, the errors that there were according to this, um, the um, Sunshine Ordinance. And then also, like I said, they hid this permit from the public, it was not accessible on on the in the public document. I even was in communication with city staff, and they said we don't know anything about it. Uh, we don't know what to do. When in fact they had been planning and speaking with the vendor and the and AUSD since since June. So that's certainly a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. So and it's a violation of a lot of other things too. And actually, they should be sanctioned for it. Um, for lying to the, the planning board. So and then so a so a is it uh, type of hearing permit and why that was um, materially a problem and then B the notice the information errors it's faulty if it lacks required information and it lacked uh, parcel ownership effects of the activity which they still don't have in the letter that the um, city sent to the applicant it, it, it describes all the things that they need all the information they need to determine the effects of the activity they've still never got, gotten that. So the notice didn't, if, if they don't have it from the city, the notice certainly doesn't have it. Um, and then, like I said, um, false information. Uh, false information can't pop, is a violation of this, the Sunshine Ordinance. And so then I talked about the inadequate public access. And then 2-91.5, uh, the agenda requirements, the faulty agenda materials. Um, if the agenda materials are different than the permit, and then they're different than in the presentation. They're faulty, um, and they all contradict each other. So they're faulty. It doesn't the information does, it, it isn't adequate. So um, and mo the most egregious one is where um, and then again none of this is in the public record except there. So and then the the uh, ordinance says that it's been approved. It hasn't been approved. It said it was approved or it was complete on November thirtieth. Well. Like I said, they never, they never, they nothing was submitted after, after the initial filing, and nothing was ever responded to in the letter of complaint. So it wasn't complete. So that's an error. Like I said, um, so um, again, uh, the introduction, the article is intended to assure the deliberations of the bodies are in full view of public. All those things that I just said about false information, none of that was done in full view of the public. Um, we can't be fully informed if you're going to give us what when certain information here and other information here, which one's true, and if you give us one that's false and we can't corroborate it, then we don't have, um, um, we don't have knowledge, participation, or trust. So, um, 
like it says here, it's fundamental to democracy and it supersedes any other policy interest government officials may use to prevent public access to information. And as I started to say, um, I had um, I made requests for um, public information, 2-92, my number four, and um, a lot, uh, some, um, like I said, they hid they hid it for, for two months and they lied and they, and they let the they let the um, they let the project go on. It's they didn't they don't have the required permits and they say there are no required permits, but there are. And then we would have gotten more information if they'd gone if they'd gotten the certificate of approval or at least undergone the certificate of approval process. I don't think they would have gotten it. So, um, and I got a message that some of it are redacted, and you're only supposed to do redact partial redactions. So, um, and my, it's been closed, by the way. A PRA request has been closed, 23512. So there's, there's information that's being withheld, and so that's definitely a violation of the Sunshine Act, too. Thank you. Do commissioners have any clarifying questions? Okay, no, no questions? You do have a speaker. Okay. You ready for it? Yes. Oh, we okay, are, sorry. We are uh, Carmen Reed. Hi again. Can you hear me? Sure. Great. Thanks so much. Um, I sent the city clerk a video from the December 11th planning board meeting. Um, I attended that meeting. Um, I, uh, sorry, I, I had wanted to attend that meeting, I should say. I looked at the agenda, I'd wanted to attend that meeting, and the Zoom link did not work. So I sent this video to the clerk, I hope she shares it with you. So I am at least one of the people who was not able to participate in that meeting. So I think that this video that I sent you, and I hope that you can take a few seconds to review it. It's maybe five or six seconds long, um, but it's a violation of the Brown Act. Um, and I, I respect Ms. Sheehan and her complaint regarding uh, uh, the historic district also, like the fact that, um, that what they, they were discussing had to do with, this, with the historic district and there are laws that mandate um, uh, what can be, you know, what can be placed or uh, like regarding fencing or, you know, other things in a historic district. And they didn't follow that. And I think it's a problem in the, in the planning department. I think that they have been repeatedly ignoring the fact that the former Naval Air Station is a big, giant historic district. So they should be following the proper laws and guidelines for um, one, the renovation of buildings, for whatever other uses they want to have out there, et cetera. But they need to respect that it is part of the historic district and there are some guidelines that have to be followed. So that's all I have to say. And I hope I can take just a few seconds to look at that video. Thanks. And that was our only speaker. It, she was talking about showing us a video. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We do have one more speaker too, though. Okay. Do you, but I'll, should we look at the video? Um, I can see if I can open it. I wasn't getting it to open. Let's see if I can. Yeah, I can't open it. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm not able to open it. It's, All right. I need to. I think 
I don't know how to open from it. From the document, it's, I think we know what it, it looks like they had an error to access it, right? Is that pretty much what the video, you yeah. clicked yeah. on a link, the, it didn't work. Yeah, there was like a pasting error. Yeah. So right. yeah okay. That was, so that was right. I, don't, I, okay. I will take that face value that, okay. that someone had an error. We do have another, right. we okay. have one more speaker too. Because okay. There was two letters at the end of the link. It was yeah, just down on the next line. On the next oh, page. Yeah. So, yeah, over yeah. and you just. Okay. So that's. Ready fine. for the next speaker? Mm -hmm. Chair? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's, Zach Bowling. Hi there. Just quickly. Um, I, on the entire public complaint, um, I can't speak to the public noticing requirements, although on that item, um, I didn't find anything that was missing that I needed. Um, but on the meeting in open access, I was able to get in um, to that meeting, um, and I attended that uh, December 11th meeting. And I don't remember doing anything special, although I would not question that the URL might have been broken, but um, I was able to register and attend that meeting and didn't have an issue. Um, so I'm not sure if there's records on the total number of attendees, but um, it, just to throw my hand in there to say I didn't have an issue. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Any other speakers? No, that's the last speaker. Sorry, let me remove him. And okay. So, the complainant gets the closing statement, right? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We, I skipped ahead to the speakers, didn't I? But yes. <laughs> Michia, you have two minutes. Okay, actually, I know uh, the, on the video of the um, planning board meeting, actually, they put it on the record because uh, Carmen had texted me and said that she can't get into the meeting. And then in the record of the meeting, if you watch the video, they say, oh, we fixed it. And it was about it was about right when my comment was over and public comment for my item was, was um, over as well. So it, it did get fixed, but not until later. And it was acknowledged in the meeting that, that the um, access was unavailable. It didn't have anything to do with her. Um, so just for the record, and if you want to look at that. So um, as I said, um, so that, that's the one thing about the public um, comment. And um, hold on, sorry. Okay, so, um, so as I said again, you know, w w information was being withheld from me and um, there, and what, and that's that's a violation of the um, the the uh, sunshine ordinance. It's still being withheld from me. Um, I still haven't been able to see the CEQA um, documentation, and that was mentioned. And so that should have been that that's supposed to be available before the meeting. So it not being available, being on the the agenda, is a violation of the agenda requirements, right? And then um, uh, like, and I've I've detailed with specific notation from the uh, Sunshine Ordinance, what the public noticing requirements are for you there and what, why it was defective. And um, I just went over those again, so you should find for that as well. It's not, it, 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 it set, it's set in the Sunshine Ordinance what the, what the notice requires, so they weren't there. Um, and then again, the public notice says that they'll assist me prior to the meeting, and they never did. And again, it, if you have something that's an error on the, on the public notice, it's faulty. And if you have a procedure that's not being followed, followed then it doesn't comply with, with the Sunshine Ordinance because, um, because it doesn't follow the law, you know, and, and... Thank you. Is there a closing statement from the respondent? 
Um, well, I'd just say that um, we have uh, complied with the requests for information. Um, we post information to our permit system, um, you know, within a reasonable time of receiving it from the applicant or preparing it ourselves. Um, I think perhaps there's an expectation that there's more information than there really is. Um, but, um, you know, it's typical that through a permit process, um, applications are sort of talked about before they're submitted. Um, maybe they talk to three or four different people or departments. And so those aren't really records that we keep um, necessarily or, or even documents that we have. Um, but sometimes uh, then, you know, an application does come in. We, we accept it. They have to pay their fees. We upload it. We start our analysis. Things change during that process. So, you know, what, what uh, the vendor told us might be different from what the property owner decides they really want to do. And then we get into the analysis and they realize, oh, actually, you know, we need to do this other thing. And so there is an evolution of a project through a process. So numbers don't always match. Um, but in the end, you know, the planning board uh, made a decision and that's, that's what was ultimately documented and um, approved. So I, I just wanted to make it clear that, you know, information is, is um, not static. Um, and uh, so I, I believe that we've provided um, everything that we have. Um, we certainly don't, you know, lie or hide. Um, and so, um, you know, I sort of take offense at that. And I would, I would say that, um, you know, we just request that you uh, deny this complaint as unfounded. Thank you. Thank you. Are there, we had the speakers already. Yes. Okay, so we just swapped out. Um, is there a motion or a discussion? If there's no discussion, I'll make a motion. Go for it. I would make a motion to deny the complaint is unfounded. Ms. Sheehan, could you please sit down, please? I second the motion. Call for vote. Uh, Commissioner Meow? Aye. Sullivan? No. Telos? Aye. Chen? Aye. The motion carries three to one. Do we have anything we want to add into the report? No. Okay. And now we're on to the regular agenda. Right. Or is the minutes of the November 6, 2023 meeting. Is there a move to accept the minutes? I'll make a motion to accept the minutes. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Minutes are accepted. 4B is provide input on the Sunshine Ordinance being amended to move to a hearing officer model to hear Sunshine Ordinance complaints. And this one, if you want me to give a brief introduction, basically um, there was a referral um, done by um, Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft and Council Member Jensen. And, um, you know, basically they wanted uh, to have direct staff to uh, draft an ordinance um, 
bringing this proposal back to the council. Um, the the uh, referral was approved by the city council and part of the direction in the referral was to bring it to uh, the commission to provide input prior to staff drafting the ordinance. So this is before you tonight for you to simply provide any input you wanted to or make any statements or comments you wanted to say before staff drafts the ordinance. Okay. Did you, did commissioners have a chance to read uh, agenda item 10A? <laughs> yeah, that was the referral was 10A. Which yep. is the referral? Any comments? We do have um, speakers too. Okay, so we'll go for the speakers first. Okay, um, Zach Bowling. Evening Commission, yeah. Um, I just wanted to speak quickly on this item. I spoke on this as well when it was a council referral. Um, in favor of the proposal um, by Council Member Jensen and Mayor Ashcraft to consider this and get staff to respond or come up with a, um, a possible adjustment of how um, the OGC complaints are heard um, and move to this kind of um, model of having a, um, a, a commissioner that, or not a commissioner, but a um, uh, someone that has legal expertise to hear these complaints. And I think one of the, I, I kind of laid it out in my letter to the council of what's kind of asked by um, this commission to sort of hear these issues. A lot of these do come up being trying to interpret the Sunshine Ordinance, trying to interpret the Brown Act as lawyers, but it's sort of a quasi-judicial um, board in a way where um, uh, it doesn't really fit with the kind of complaints that we get. I think this was just not foreseen when we passed the Sunshine Ordinance that um, we ask a lot of our commissioners on this to basically kind of interpret law. Um, and because um, a lot of these do come to legal nuance sort of questions and less on the spirit of the, the Brown, or the spirit of the, not the Brown Act, but of the Sunshine Ordinance as it was passed. Um, and so for that, because we've had success with um, having this hearing model officer um, system has a, like with the rent review board and how that moved to a hearing officer model, instead of having sort of a quasi-judicial board sort of review, rent review issues, um, it's vastly improved, has become a lot less dramatic, <laughs> um, a lot less sort of a proxy for political battles when something shouldn't be a political battle, it should be just hearing the complaint on its on its merit, on its on its issues. Um, so I did recommend sort of pushing that. I, I know this kind of changes the dynamic of this board, um, but uh, I just wanted to echo the comments that I made in council to this board um, and uh, just kind of relay it, but um, I will leave my comments at that. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was our only speaker. So Commissioner Tilos, you've been on this board the longest. Yeah, this has been proposed uh, other times as well, but I don't think it's ever officially made it to our desk, you know, as far as a council referral, you know, they've talked about it. Um, yeah, sort of mixed reviews because when I first started, we never had hearings and meetings that went this long, so it definitely is an issue. And I brought about too that, you know, it sort of turns off people from volunteering for this as we did when we started getting some of these hearings and the being started getting longer we did have quite a bit of turnover i'm actually pretty impressed that this group has stayed on as long as it has so far um 
I, um, I think, you know, it, it's worth talking about because, like I said, something has to address the issue. But I hate that, you know, we throw everything at just lawyers now. I think, you know, some, some part of the spirit of the Sunshine Act is to have, like, non-lawyers on this commission to sort of see it in a perspective of just a layman. Um, something that I thought about in my head is, okay, let's, if we went down this route, how does us as commissioners still have some input? And maybe the final decision comes from us if we want to take on a hearing. Maybe it's like, hey, you let this person do the hearing, we review the minutes, then we think, you know, from, you know, listen to both sides of the story, we figure out, you know, what, and that person just sort of gives a recommendation. Then we could say yay or nay. Yay, we agree, that's it. Nay, no, we want to hear it. That's sort of where I'm leaning, instead of just all of a sudden just going this route. So it's sort of like a, a testing sort of issue. So we still sort of have some of the control. We get more legal expertise, but at the same time, we get to still put the input of citizen volunteers. There was, a, okay. there was another speaker who raised their hand after you closed public okay. comment. I just wanted to make sure you were aware no, that it was that's after fine. you've closed public comment. Okay. You've already started the discussion, so right. I just so wanted let's to. let's just continue this discussion. Okay. I think that what, I agree with, with uh, appointing a, a commissioner, if you will. Uh, I just think the, I mean, the main, the only reason we exist is so the public can be heard. And so, um, and I think the only, block that I've ever in my limited amount of time on here to the public feeling heard is that there is a political, at least it seems to be a political influence on every commissioner. Um, I don't, uh, if my biggest thrust would be however they determine who that person is and how they ever select that person, um, that of course it's going to be nonpartisan as it must, but how would they go about ensuring that? Because um, there's, you know, I've, I've served on other similar um, tribunals, if you will, and uh, the importance of the public being heard is of paramount concern. Not power or rule of law or interpretation. Um, it's that the public can feels like it has a place, that it can uh, be heard by an unbiased, um, group of people it's, it's almost uh, it's almost a, equivalent to a, the, the jury system <laughs> in a way um, we just want to hear the facts and we apply the law and I don't think the sunshine ordinance nor the Brown Act is all very difficult to do that um, so um, but I uh, I guess is probably not a very good place to do it but personally um, I think that a an unbiased commissioner who um, is selected properly would do the public um, a great deal of good. Yeah, so uh, I'm a big fan of, of this. I, I think that for any number of reasons, having a hearing officer uh, appointed to hear these sorts of disputes, which are 
you know, both or can be very technical and time consuming um, for people to try to get right. And I think that having a uh, attorney take that on would be would be welcomed. I think that that would put this commission though in an interesting position. The commission in many ways, I, as I view it, based on what the city council has done with it, is made it effectively powerless. And so to take Commissioner Telos's potential recommendation to have the hearing officer make a recommendation for us to review and then to, for us to make a recommendation, sort of recommendations on top of recommendations. So really what I would encourage the city council to do or staff to do if they were going to do this would be to actually give the hearing officer authority. That is the thing that I think would make this whole thing work. Um, without that, then it's just adding a different layer of a funded employee who gets to make a decision that goes to the city council and into a black hole, which is where our, where effectively our work potentially goes as well, as you know, Chair Chen, because you sent around a document that listed all the things that you recommended three years ago that haven't been addressed at all. And so uh, that would be my hope, is that if there was an actual hearing officer, that that hearing officer actually had authority to enforce the Sunshine Ordinance and the Brown Act Incorporated. So I, I just have to say, on uh, my first experience with this commission was coming before this commission. And uh, prior to that, I, I felt as though I had been gaslit by the city council. And I came before the commission and these five people, five strangers, looked at me and said, sustained. <laughs> so of course, I just felt uh, exonerated for having gone through a process where I, uh, there was a really strong agenda to push one thing one way, regardless of what the rules were. I mean, this is, so I just have this very uh, personal connection to seeing five regular Alameda residents who care about this city. And I, and, and I think Commissioner Sullivan uh, represents that spirit on this commission. I mean, I'm jaded probably, but I, I just have to say- He's also an attorney though, just to be clear. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So I don't hold that against him. So I, I just have to say- I just mean he actually fulfills the qualifications for the hearing officer. <laughs> but no, I, I'm just saying the, you exemplify that kind of spirit of, of, of hearing what people are saying and, and wanting to um, do what you can to resolve the situation. So. Um, when I went before the commission and uh, I, I also saw that the commissioners um, had trust issues with, with the city attorney uh, you know, counseling the commission because there's an in inherent conflict of interest for uh, someone paid by the city to defend the city in a complaint and then sit here and tell us, you know, advise the commissioners. And so there was, there's, there's been this constant, uh, in the beginning, of this really kind of um, tug of war, because how do you resolve that, that inherent conflict of interest? So the first I heard of this concept was, oh, right, 
have a paid city staff decide whether or not his or her bosses have violated the Sunshine Ordinance. So that, that just kind of got stuck in my head. Um, but I'm open to what other folks think because I, I know that uh, Vice, Vice Chair um, Miley uh, liked this idea to, to have a separate thing. But I'm just looking at, at uh, trust issues because you don't come before this commission unless somebody or some people in the city have really upset you and you go to all the trouble of, of trying to find an objective body. And, and we try our best uh, despite everything. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's just where I sit. But of course I would be relieved not to spend two days reading these documents over and over again to, uh, to determine what's up and what's down, right? <laughs> And Madam Chair, um, currently the way that the um, rent issues are handled is there's a pool of, you know, outside, um, you know, independent um, hearing officers that they rotate based on availability. And um, it's not a city staff person. It's not anybody associated with any department. They are independent. So. That's just to tell you what the rent okay. is doing. How, how do they get there? Um, uh, that part I don't know, but um, I, I mean, I believe it's like through, you know, a, probably they responded to something and were brought Are they appointed on by city council? Or? No, not by city council, but I don't, I don't think the council selected them. I don't know that level of detail, but you know, that could be something you guys could, if you wanted to include that you recommend that the council select the hearing, uh, you know, appoint the hearing officers or something. What was the power that we had? I, I know what it is. It's oh, like, when we, it yeah, wasn't Kieran correct? There was another one that we had. Null and void. Null and void. No, yeah. If we could give that person that power, I think it's a legitimate position. <laughs> yeah, no, I doubt the yeah, council will give that one. Well, salary cuts, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be weaponizing the Open Government Commission. No, the person. The, the person. Yeah. <laughs> Not our commission. I'm just, I'm just repeating what was said to me. I do wonder the, the continued need for the commission if you have the hearing officers. And I understand that there's like procedural things that we'll have to decide and an annual report, but that all seems very administrative and maybe could be handled without needing volunteers um, and certainly wouldn't require more than meeting once a year. Yeah, I'm figuring the person who they pick could probably put that annual report together <laughs> as well. <laughs> but she just said it was a revolving, it might not be the same person. Is that possible? It could be, I don't know. I was just trying to explain what they do. It could be Commissioner Sullivan, rotating through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to take any yeah. vote or take any action. This was just to garner your comments and you know they'll be passed on to staff. Yeah. And, Everything, you so. know, and having having worked on the uh, last two annual reports, they were completely informed by sitting through all these hearings, you know, and and struggling, and you know, identifying all the gray areas in our municipal code. You know, ergo, all my recommendations, right? But half of the recommendations were resolved during the course of the commission, that um, all the administrative things. Um, cleaned it up a lot. So I'm just so proud of uh, 
the last two commissions because the commissioners worked really hard to, uh, to get things ship shape, so to speak. But I'm willing to let it go. <laughs> so that's our discussion. Okay. Uh, the next item is um, seven, uh, 4C, accept the annual report. And um, basically, the commission had directed me to draft the annual report, so I went through and compiled all the complaints. I um, went through the minutes and found any um, recommendations you guys recommendations you all made related to the complaints. As you'll see on, uh, since these commissions were, these two complaints you heard tonight were filed in December, I left um, uh, the, lines for those blank and we'll go back and fill in um, the decisions and um, everything for that and then uh, to today just before the meeting or, or a while before the meeting uh, chair Chen uh, carried forward the items from a previous one that she submitted which um, she can address and see how she wants to okay yeah so um, yeah this this is why I can let go I just put it all down on paper <laughs> Basically, the inherent structural conflict, but you know, I, I think having a outside attorneys serving as hearing officers would kind of resolve that that piece. Um, the uh, Brown Act definition of legislative bodies is a is a confusing definition when practiced in the local jurisdiction we we had an ad hoc committee that actually was a legislative body that made decisions and but the the issue wasn't brought up until really late so it was the timeliness piece but it was a valid issue so I really felt that uh, looking at the sunshine ordinance it's it says um, that ad hoc committees are exempted but it never has a definition within the ordinance the, de the devil is always in the details. So we're wanting, we've, we've recommended, and I'll recommend it here, that the, the city clearly define what constitutes an ad hoc committee which is exempt under the Sunshine Ordinance and Brown Act, you know, versus what is a legislative body that should be following Brown Act requirements. Uh, before your time, in the before times, we had a lot of uh, public records complaints about the uh, police department's records. And they were usually brought forward by reporters who were trying to get information on cases. And uh, the reporters told us that they had m much greater success with getting uh, information from other city police departments. So it made me wonder, you know, is there something going on with our police department where people are not getting the records they're asking for? So I, I looked at our annual report, which what we have here is the number of complaints <laughs> uh, police requests, total number of requests, 1,498, total denied four. So inquiring minds want to know kind of a, a breakdown like what were those 1498 um requests filed and and what were the resolutions that they, i mean if they are all like defense attorneys or people looking for legal cases that's one thing if it's 
something else, then I, I think we need to know. I mean, it's not that long ago where we had a lot of issues with our de police department, and we have a fantastic police chief now, and we have better record keeping. And, and so I'm, I'm personally not satisfied with just seeing total number of re requests, 1,498 requests um, on public records with the police, you know, to, to just see some kind of qualitative or, quant uh, you know, more disaggregation of, of where that's coming from. Or even just last year's next to it, so we see a little trend. Right, right, because, you know, in the re first report we got, we got this whole, we got a whole lot of uh, numbers, and so we were able to say, how come this happened, you know, what's this, and, you know, without describing actual cases. There was just a, a lot more um, data available. So that recommendation is to just see an annual uh, review or audit of the police department responses to PRA requests, just to see. And I think that now there's a, uh, there's a, a data analyst with the police or criminals data person. And so before, you know, somebody had to stop what they were doing to gather up statistics. And now there's actually a person in the department. They might still need to stop what they're doing to gather the <laughs> statistics. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> but this is an inquiring minds issue. Um, clarify social media and PRA requirements. We, we had a case where um, someone who's covered under the Brown Act was posting on social media and there was a request to see the posts and the request uh, was not complied with and there was no, uh, you know, if, if, if the custodian of records does not give you the information then too bad. <laughs> so it, it, that felt very funny that uh, I won't say it wasn't. I wouldn't say it wasn't complied with, but you, you get to ask the question, and that person gets to say yes or no. So I think the, the co compliance was there. It might not be the answer you want, but I think compliance was there. Right, but under our code of conduct, we're supposed to follow city rules and. Yeah. The, the rule says you just ask if this happened or was this there, and if they said no, then. That's the jurisdiction we have. Just so that I understand, are, is this discussion around accepting the annual report? Is that what? Well, what the, you know, the annual report. Um, I just wanted to roll everything that's unresolved from the last two years into our annual report, just in case they missed these items. Okay. Which they did, <laughs> or if they had addressed them, they didn't tell us. So it's kind of like here's here's our unresolved issues, but um, we do need a, a good, a better social media and public records act requirements of, of everybody who signs the code of conduct, which is all of us and everybody on boards and commissions that we're, we're gonna respond to these requests. Um, adopt a clear policy on remote public comment. <laughs> I think that's done which I had typed and put in here before <laughs> for the meeting tonight. I mean, it was really clear that uh, 
yeah, that uh, I, I just think that didn't, didn't pass my personal stink test, so. And uh, I scribbled on here, clarify agenda, what happened um, tonight? My brain is going. Oh, was that the agenda issue? Oh, just to clarify in the city handbook, what qualifies as right. agenda setting? as an agenda. It's one thing to say these things need to be on the agenda because we have their time, you know, the time has come, we gotta put them on. And it's another thing to say, we're not going to uh, allow public comment remotely on, on agendized items. They look like different things on the, uh, on the menu, so to speak, right? So those were the issues that I kind of carried over from rollover from the last two years. So do you, do you have any that you hate or love or you, should we roll them in or? Well, I guess my understanding is that this is an annual report for the annual. Right. Uh, I, so I, I would like to keep the annual report for 2023 and then to the extent that there are items, I don't think that the reports expire. And so to the extent that, um, you want to, for example, participate in not agenda public comment in person and bring those up to the city council at the next meeting, you probably could do that and remind them of the 2021 report, the 2022 report. But I think in the context of an annual report, it should be annual report and then not relitigating things in some ways because also I just don't have the benefit of knowing what those things are, all the background. I mean, I did watch a lot of those hearings, but I don't know. Commissioner Cleaver? So I guess what we're designing is that accept it as it is, or are we gonna put your modifications in? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, it could be an addendum or a epilogue. Yeah, I don't mind, you know, putting it in there as, you know, um, Chair Chen's roll, like, rolling items. I, I, yeah, like um, a, it'd be like Appendix C. Yeah. Yeah. 2021, 2022 outstanding items per Chair. Chen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll I make that motion. <laughs> I'll make the motion to accept the 2023 annual report with the modification of adding Chair Chen's uh, roll forward as an exhibit or appendix C. Second. Second. Call for aye. Vote. Oh. Yeah, aye. Aye. All right. Thank you. Are you by four eyes? Okay. Okay. What's next? Select a 40 select chair and vice chair. Okay. I'm gonna I'm just get out there and just nominate Commissioner Sullivan <laughs> to be the chair. I, I nominate Tilos. I nominate the guy who's absent. <laughs> I, well, I, I, apparently. I speak on behalf of the guy who's absent. Um, I did check with him since he is existing vice chair and said, would you accept or, you know, since you'll be absent. And he said he currently is, you know, has a lot on his plate and really doesn't have the bandwidth. bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Cause I think, you know, when we first got together a year ago, that was sort of the, right. 
and yeah. where we're going to go was Commissioner Miley was going to fall into the chair spot. Commissioner Sullivan was going to be the vice chair. Um, yeah, agree. I think we should just follow that and skip Miley then. And then and I then think it's right Commissioner, Commissioner Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we have a quorum here. Should we? Should we? And then you need a vice, <laughs> chair, need a vice well. chair too. Well, I think that's where you come in, Commissioner Meow. Yeah, I, I would be fine with that. If I would, I would, I would serve as Commissioner Sullivan's vice chair. Great. Okay, so I'm going to make the motion that Commissioner Sullivan becomes our new chair. I need the script. Yes, I, <laughs> I just maybe they just throw them in both, huh? Just oh, like, and uh, yeah. the motion to make Commissioner Sullivan the chair and Commissioner Meow the vice chair. I second that. Uh, aye. 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 That's it. You voted um, on it. Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> For staff updates, we have none. Um, for Commissioner agenda requests, there are none. And then uh, you're to the commissioner communication section. I don't know if you have any. None? No, no communications. No. And then I don't think we have any other non-agenda public comment. Nobody is raising their hand for non-agenda public comment. Okay. In that case, the meeting is adjourned. And I just want to say hi to Selena. <laughs> <laughs> I never get to say some, somebody's <laughs> name.